I'll do that in a minute. Um, Hello, everyone, and welcome to another. Well, I was going to say Sunday live stream, but it hasn't been a Sunday for a while when I've been live streaming because I've been doing it, been doing it daily. Um, but today we have Layla joining us, ClickUp consultant. I have spoken with Layla a couple of times beforehand on the Notion Nerds podcast, and. Uh, for those that don't know, Leda obviously is a ClickUp consultant, but also works in processes and systems. So it's not just about ClickUp, um, but I will let Layla do a little bit of an explanation on that so she can give her, and I'm not giving her words. I could put words in your mouth, but uh, I kind of want to avoid it. So I'll, I'll let you let you explain a little bit further. Yeah, so I'm a ClickUp geek. I chose to specialize in the tools so you could actually focus on the system side. Um, but yeah, like what you're describing, that whole idea of building out flowcharts and building out standard operating procedure. I know you're we just talking about what's fun and what's not fun. And this is a good example of one of those areas where I find writing instructions and crafting the way you do things really exciting. And most people find it terribly boring. But I help people figure out that stuff and then put it in ClickUp um, so there's less guesswork. And I'm yeah. excited to be here, geek out about all things software and processes and systems and all that stuff. Oh yeah, it's good. It's actually funny that you mentioned that because I was on a I was on a call with um, someone that I can't mention, um, but th they basically said, "How did you get into this industry?" And I said, "Well, it's fun." And he was like, "Sorry, how is tasks, projects, systems fun?" Like you're a student. <laughs> it's like it, it's fun, okay? Um, but yeah, so I guess a student is very well positioned for this kind of industry. I, I don't know of many. Uh, a lot of medical students, but there aren't many. I don't know, academic students that I can think of in the productivity space that really jump out, except for the study corner. There's a few examples, but I think you, you, you're wired the right way for it as a student. You think you'd be more inclined to go into this space. Oh yeah, completely agree. I mean, there are so many, Kim, hi, by the way. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry in chat. Um, Yusuf, also good to see you. I can see the YouTube up there and streaming. I was like a second, a couple of seconds fine. There it is. Um, but yeah, so the, the the student YouTubers that are out there all, are all talking study tips and techniques, and it's a lot of handwritten notes and things like that, rather than the the processes behind what's actually going on. But all of us have it in our minds. We just, I guess, don't don't talk about it for whatever reason. We leave it to the boring business people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, did you have to steal from the business people to start learning about those frameworks, or are there? Or did you steal from like the pedagogy, the the, the way of learning people? Like how? That, that's an interesting, interesting question. I think, so for me, business, I'm still very, very new to business. So it's all come from my education, uh, learning, learning how to create programs, periodize someone's session for a four year, for example, an Olympic athlete. You're not going to sit there and go, let's, let's do this today. No, it, it's a four year plan. <laughs> you, you have to plan it out, know what's going on ahead of time. Uh, so strength and conditioning potentially had a role in that with when it comes to planning, but you know, my planning could definitely do with some improvement in some aspects. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting though, because you're bringing subject expertise and a framework not of how to learn, not of how to do tasks, but how to actually condition a body, I'm guessing, if I'm butchering that, I, I've, I've never done a sport in my life, you can tell. Um, but you're bringing all of those pieces. I, have you done work with like physical trainers and people? I would love to see like what you would come up with if you applied both of those worlds in one place. I mean, so but before before YouTube, uh, but yeah, 
Essentially, before, before I started diving more into Notion uh, and just the, the general productivity app space, my, my master's in, was in SNC. So I was working with uh, some of the GB trampolinists, uh, some county level football players, some handball players, like phys physical sports, some like pro level athletes. And it was it was fun. It was intense. I worked with a lot of rugby players and boxing boxers as well. And they the, the process I needed to work. So today we're going to do this, but it's going to be this mesocycle, this macrocycle, whatever it happens to be to get wherever it was in whatever domain of fitness that was, whether that's strength, cardio, endurance, like, yeah, there's so many different aspects or just skill related performance. Um, like there's human performance. There's just so many, so many variables, but essentially it was okay. I want to improve this, this month. How do I do that? Let's do it this way. Uh, and then whatever their session plan was. So there was a lot of troubleshooting, as you can imagine, with athletes. Some of them, depending on their age and maturity, some of them do as they're told, some of them don't. Uh, so, yeah, you say, make sure you do this at home, otherwise you will struggle next week. Okay, it comes to next week and they're struggling. Did you do this at home? Yes. Well, you obviously didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was, it was working with, with what I had. So there was a lot of planning and improv planning, which... Yeah. Which I think helps, helps with YouTube. You, you plan out some videos and you realize, actually, that video's not done as well as I thought. Let's not do that other video. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, YouTube's a whole other thing. I just think it's really interesting to hear because where you're coming from, my, my mom is the person that comes to mind. She just finally got herself a trainer, right? And that person is able to get her to do things she was never able to do before or never, you know, structured enough to do. And I really always view that trainer as like my mom's systems person of just like, here is the workflow. But it's weird to me that training seems like such a low tech space in <laughs> the masses, right? I'm not talking Olympic Village stuff, but am I wrong or is that just a kind of a hometown stereotype? Um, I think it I think it depends. So when it, when it comes to just generally in the fitness industry, there are two types of trainers, depending on what country you're in, the terms differ. So in the UK, a strength and conditioning coach is more qualified than a personal trainer. Okay. The, in other countries, it's the other way around. Hmm. Essentially, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So essentially, anyone that's working with professional athletes typically are more qualified, okay. as, as a rule of thumb, and they will be using Excel. Full stop. It, 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 they just will be. If they're not, they're if they're not working with Excel or something equivalent uh, as a, as a high performance strength and conditioning coach or performance coach, uh, you will you will drastically struggle with the amount of metrics that you keep have to keep track of. Wow. So. Yeah, that surprises me. Excel. Yeah, because because of the amount of spreadsheet data. So as an example, wow. a, a typical session. Obviously, you've got the the load the load on the bar or the dumbbell, whatever that happens to be. Um, so say you say you've got a barbell that's twenty kilos rough. Uh, I know metric, so twenty kilograms. Um, and then and then you you put some some plates on it. You need to remember what weight they lifted that day for whenever. You also need to know how many reps they did how many sets they did that then calculate the load so they don't overtrain that day or overtrain during the week you then need to calculate all those loads for that day for the next day so they don't overtrain potentially for an event a training session for skill session so you don't want to do too much load for that session so their skill session is bad but you need to do enough that they actually improve so you need to know their baseline metrics loads of numbers loads of calculations and if you don't have a spreadsheet i have no idea how you manage all of that <laughs> uh, and when it comes to performance measures, 
if they yeah. do get injured, you need to be able to say, okay, well, they did this. They've done that before. They got injured because of them, not me. So it's interesting. But okay. So here's what's strange to me though. Like hearing you say this and knowing where you're at today, what a problem to be solved. Because what you're describing sounds like the same amount of stuff that I would hear. I used to work in finance. That was my life before this. And it was boring analyst work, but equally, I think granular from what you're describing. And we were living off spreadsheets. And at the time that I left, there was this big transition. And one of the things that we were helping people do was adapt to a software that would calculate that kind of stuff. And now here you are, the software productivity guy. Are you gonna solve this problem for the training world at some point down the line? <laughs> it seems I mean, like just begging. <laughs> I mean, maybe, I think I think the biggest issue in, in the world I was in, technically still am in, mm -hmm. is tradition. Co yeah. coaches coaches are awful i'm gonna say sports coaches because business coaches men, like mental skills coaches a lot of them are they're more up to date than sports coaches um and so sports coaches with tradition is is just really really bad as an example when you're looking at i, I mean i'm going into literature now and into my <laughs> academic world uh but football coaches as an example football or soccer wherever you're from the the majority of football coaches are about 70 years behind when it comes to academia 70 years like they're learning things in their courses that's been in research and proven in research 70 years ago but they're still learning it so you you suddenly bring some technology to them hard hard reject hmm and that's interesting because i think business is the reverse academic mm. business is 50 years <laughs> real life business and it sounds like sports maybe because of the seniority required to move up in that world versus entrepreneurship or business where it's kind of more I don't know, a little bit more loose. Maybe yeah, that's why. Very perceived seniority. For whatever reason, you think because you're a good player or a good coach, it couldn't mm -hmm. be further from the truth, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, but it, it's still something, it's still a stereotype in the industry. So you've got to get rid of it somehow, I guess. But pioneer, <laughs> who knows? I'll just get out, get out and go to somewhere more creative. Because I think from what you're describing to where you are now, now you're completely... I feel like this is YouTube is a very free space, <laughs> and that, that that was one of the one of the big reasons why I decided. Well, not one of the big reasons. One of the reasons I first started coming into video creation and stuff was actually because I I knew lectures were boring. Going to seminars like I was presenting in front of people, and I didn't I didn't enjoy sitting in front of those presentations, so I didn't really want to deliver those presentations. So I was like, mm. how can I change it up? Let's do a video. Let's make a presentation, a case study, uh, make it exciting in some way. So that's why I started making some YouTube videos. Uh, and I made like 73 videos. They're all unlisted, all about sports coaching, pedagogics. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then I did a Notion video and then that did really well. And yeah, <laughs> complete turn on its head. I would have thought that the, the sports stuff would have really, in terms of, especially describing the industry as you have described it, but I don't know the industry. Maybe there's a resistance to YouTube in that area. No, coaches, a lot of a lot of coaches that are there currently, mm -hmm. they are very old fashioned, very traditional in, where, in the way that they learn. And it's, it's very, very ageist. A young coach shouldn't know more than an older coach. Like they just shouldn't. The same way on that one. <laughs> it's just it's so stupid. I, I wrote three essays on it. My lecturer completely agreed. We've like academia fights against it, but the only people that read academics is the people in academics, not the people that actually need to read it. Yeah. 
Big well, issue. That's on YouTube, I guess. It's the translator. Yeah, try, that's, try that's to be. Hmm? Try to be anyway. Yeah. Try, try I, to I, be I medium. I feel like now I just talk to everybody. Anyone who has any kind of interest, just document your interest because it this whole YouTube journey, I don't know if you're it sounds like yours was kind of the same way. It was like a grind, a side thing. That's nice. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, well here's something. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I did a notion video and I was like, oh okay, let's do another one. Let's do another one. Let's do another one. 120 later. <laughs> of the notion videos for everything, right? Yep, pretty much. I, I mean, you before before my videos, you had a lot of channels that had done one or two videos on Notion. Um, mm -hmm. Marie, I think, had 12, 13 up, but they were about a year old by the time I started making my videos. Um, and then August put his first video up about five after mine. Uh, I can remember these things because I love numbers. Uh, and then August's second video did really, really well, which is why his channel just flew. Because uh, his video was quite literally, uh, this is everything you could possibly imagine doing in Notion all in one. And it just went, what, to a lot of people. So the, yeah. the video flew. Um, and he focused on his system. Marie obviously focused on her stuff. Uh, and then everyone else sort of dipped their toes in. I'll do one here, do one there. And I was like, no, here's three videos a week in a live stream. <laughs> <laughs> no, content. Do it four times a week. <laughs> Yeah, I was just I was just throwing content out there, um, and I even get the comments now saying I, I search something on Notion and you just appear. Uh, Sarah Red Gregory is very similar to me, not quite as quite as like quantity, uh, mm -hmm. but she's definitely focused on the videos and the rest of it. Uh, Lizzie, good to see you, and Eddie Notion here, good to see you. Torin, good to see you. Cameron. Why are you awake? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like four a.m. for Cameron, I think. Something like that. Something silly. Goodness, uh, he's always up to something. <laughs> <laughs> you knew you had to wake up for this one. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, okay, so I guess first question that I have for you because I I know I know you use ClickUp, and I know there's loads of other applications out there, and I'm curious to see what other things you have, small things, aside from ClickUp that you use in your space. I'm assuming you use Google Calendar and Gmail. Mm -hmm. Yep, that. yep. It's yeah. Is there anything else sort of like hidden away that you use? Maybe a, a text expander or some hidden automation app. I know Integromat's in ClickUp. Do you use it? So Integromat and Zapier, out, connected. Yes, we use those quite extensively. Dubsado is another tool I use. It's not a great tool. But <laughs> my business, though, my business is a consulting on one end and an online course membership business. So that kind of defines my tech stack. Um, on the course side, which I'm going to be talking about with John later this week, is uh, Member Vault is our main tool over there, which is kind of housing all of our content and knowledge, um, which is, might actually be interesting for you. The way I originally structured my client engagements was kind of willy-nilly. And then eventually, it was through having ClickUp tasks kind of give a curriculum for each client. So that was like my transition point. And then I moved over into an actual learning system, which then became the course. So my, t my tech stack has stayed very simple. I pretty much, I tried a lot of tools, but I resisted moving because it cost me so much money to move. Even with four or five people, I'm trying to switch over. I explore them. Like Notion right now is my personal space to play with. Coda, my personal space to play with. Our home life is in you know a bunch of different things, Google Sheets and so on. But I think when you introduce business into it, it kind of changes the equation. Oh yeah. 
Certainly, especially when you're working with other people. But I'm, I'm curious, you, you, you said your personal, is that personal notes, tasks, projects, like what docs, wikis, what, what's, what's in there? So my personals probably looks a lot like people's business. <laughs> we, we were just flipping our house and I managed a lot of the project in ClickUp, but- but, but when it comes to uh, some of the database elements, I've actually been using Google Sheets built out. I, I'm interested in real estate investing personally. I've been researching it because you know I'm that kind of fact finder person for about four years. That's what I used to do to an extent. And so my personal life is a lot of uh, learning about passive investing, flipping our house. And so I live in ex Google Sheets slash Excel and build out a bunch of different models and such there to help organize our life but task wise it's in ClickUp just because i have a free enterprise account i'm going to use it <laughs> the small well, perks right i was going to say that that is certainly uh um a benefit let, let, let's go that way <laughs> certainly yeah, a benefit yeah. i mean so notion i have a personal pro free mm -hmm. but then it's the same as being a student anyway so i did have it as a student <laughs> And then when I became an ambassador, and I, I still technically am a student, but I've grad, well, I haven't graduated. I don't know what's happening with graduation with all the stuff that's going on. Um, but because I'm an ambassador, I get the personal pro, and I'm like, yay! <laughs> I, I think the enterprise plan in ClickUp is like sixteen to thirty dollars per user now. So, wow! But then I think about the return on investment from we do two videos a week, but they're mostly pre-produced. So you're thinking six hours of video times two times. Four weeks, I don't know if I'm really getting a great return on that investment, but it's a nice little cherry on top. <laughs> like it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So I'm curious, when when using ClickUp, I know, I know they've got the new mobile app and they're working with it, working on it. Do you use ClickUp on your phone? Uh, not much, not much. Usually just for team stuff, right? Like I think that changes the equation. Personally, I'm a computer person. I like to be able to spread out like dual monitors, maybe three monitors. Is that, is that how you have it set it up? How is I have your a laptop and a screen. <laughs> I, I have a laptop and a screen and John always moans that my computer's bad, but Bass that came on on Saturday, looked at my specs and he said it's not actually that bad. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave those two to argue about it. I mean, it hasn't crashed yet. It doesn't smoke. It just tries to fly sometimes <laughs> as long as it doesn't smoke i think that's pretty much the benchmark <laughs> exactly and then and then i've got a really old screen over there that basically i do everything over there unless i'm taking notes on something in which case it's here which is where normally my note taker of choice at that time is up yeah and so you you don't have one right now it sounds like a note taker app of choice i have lots that i like <laughs> I would say the one I'm the one I'm using the most at the moment is Obsidian. Uh, the reason it's Obsidian is because it's local file storage. Mm. Literally, the only reason that I'm using it over anything else um, is because I know if my computer does happen to explode, to die, whatever it is, then it's it's stored and I can still access them on another computer. Or it, it, I don't know. It's just have, having that control is nice. Plus. I want to learn to code in 2021 and I've done like an hour of HTML. Mm. <laughs> but Obsidian is very much a, a markdown code type type application. So I, I'm not necessarily forced to learn code, but I'm forced to understand that world. Got it. So. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's something I'm also trying. It's on my list. It's one of those things that's hard, like language in general. 
it's hard to learn until you're forced to use it, right? Like you can take five years of public Spanish, Layla, pub a public school Spanish, but until you go live in a Spanish speaking country, you don't apply anything that you learn. So I think coding is kind of like that in my experience so far. It's like you can keep I trying. I was I was taught French from I think year one. How old am I in year one? Like yeah, you're not American, where we don't learn yeah. any languages. <laughs> like six years old, I think I started learning French year one or year two, like six or seven years old. Um, and I did my GCSE in French. I got a C. I all I can remember is hello. Uh. I can say hello. That's it. I I just never needed it. Never. I think this is kind of a. a, a I don't want to say European because it's not European. Like a English English speaking sort of like country. Everyone in England, unless they have a reason to learn another language, just doesn't bother. And I, I don't know whether it's the same in America and Canada, but I feel like there are so many people speaking English that there's almost it sounds it sounds bad saying it, but there's almost no reason to learn another language. It, it sounds harsh and, and nasty to say it, but everyone speaks English as a second, third, fourth, however many languages they speak they understand it to some extent, most people anyway. Mm. Unless I put myself in a country that doesn't speak any English. <laughs> yeah, I think in the US we have really poorly funded public schools. So I think there's an interest here because we have a lot, of, we export a lot of media and we consume a lot of media. So seeing foreign media in the actual language, whether it's Asian media or any other language that we wanna be able to consume it in the actual language. I think there's a strong desire to learn languages here, but we don't have a lot of structure to enable that because we don't teach kids languages until high school here so yeah doesn't really help you too much at 15 to start learning Ola. how old are you at high school uh i don't know 16 17 no 15 something like that i'm, I'm trying to work out what that is oh, i think that's secondary yeah I, th I think that's like secondary yeah like a couple of years into secondary school um <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan, go away. It's not bad. Bass says it's fine. <laughs> um, what? Orville? Call, called it Orville. I'm not sure what that's in. Do you, do you know what Orville is? It reminds me of Orville popcorn. Orville Redenbacher popcorn is very good popcorn, but I don't think that's what they're talking about. <laughs> no. Oh, I used obsidian too. Okay. Maybe, maybe that was just an obsidian thing. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so I have a question for you, Danny, because okay. I. Okay, so why, why produce so much content? Not not publish necessarily, but between writing all these notes, researching all these tools, you're putting so much information through yourself and back into things. And I'm fascinated by why. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, but unpack that. Yeah, so the I like learning. I like I like absorbing information. Um, and absorbing information around applications at the moment, applications is something I'm interested in coding, understanding software, understanding processes and what people can, can't, should, should not do is interesting. Um, so I enjoy consuming the information and it's, and I enjoy learning how to create that information. So whether that is in a video, in a blog or learning anything about the marketing side, the business side of creating content. So I have two interests, essentially learning oh, skills. Cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, It's the learning the skills, but then learning what things do. And I was like, why not just put them together? So mm. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm using both interests because they're both fun. And I was like, let's just put them together. But I think it's interesting because there's something else that's driving you into the productivity app space. And I don't quite understand what it is. <laughs> uh, so 
When, when it comes to the productivity app space, it's the, the I guess maybe maybe this is a terminology thing. Productivity for me is almost everything. Almost every application is for productivity in some way. No one builds an app for no reason. So if you're going to explore an app, it kind of has to be a productivity app of some sort. Uh, and it's just, that's the space people have okay. labeled it. Okay, jargon. Tools <laughs> to help you get things done and take notes. Note-taking, task management, project management. I'm going to take the jargon out of it. Why, I mean, so why aren't you reviewing like Photoshop? Um, it's not that I'm not. It's just I haven't got there yet. <laughs> <laughs> so Capwig okay. was... Capwig was one of the applications I did last week, and Capwig is a, a video editor, meme creator type application. Um, and then I've done Train, Loom, and then another one, which is screen captures, video captures, and stuff like that. So they're not productivity, but they are productivity because they're business related. Um, and I think I think one of the one of the reasons that I'm not necessarily laying off of Photoshop or Affinity or things like that is I'm not as proficient with those yet. So if I was to explore them, it would be harder for me to actually say anything about them because mm. I'm, I'm still learning a lot of them. Uh, so I guess the perceived value I would give would be decreased for for people watching. But I mean, maybe people want to watch me explore Photoshop and go, I have no idea what any of these buttons do. <laughs> Well, I just wonder, because it seems like there is some kind of, in the back of your mind, filtering happening. And I, watching from the outside, I like to deconstruct people's systems. And I cannot seem to deconstruct your, you know, wherever your blinders are that are making you focus one way or another. So I was wondering if you had an awareness or if it's just kind of like this intuitive, oh, that one looks fun. Okay. I, I don't know how many streams you've watched. Squirrel. Okay. Squirrel. Is is a is a moment that has been associated in my chat over the last couple of weeks. My brain goes everywhere, mm. and, and I will be talking about something in a squirrel moment from up the dog up. It's like squirrel. Yeah, my brain's just whew, just all over the place. <laughs> so, so, so that that is my system. It's it's very squirrel like. If something attracts my attention, then that's where it goes. <laughs> okay. Well, see, I just wanted to make sure there wasn't a deeper layer there because it seems like. I don't know. It it seemed like there was more to it. I think there still is. You're probably just not giving yourself enough credit. I, I, there, there might be. I'm not really aware of it. I sort of just, I, I follow what's fun, um, mm -hmm. what's interesting at the time. And if it's not interesting, I don't follow it and find something else. But there, there are so many things that interest me uh, that it, it's very hard not, not to do something I, like getting bored isn't I, I've never been bored I, I can't get bored there's always something to do something to fiddle with some, something to play with something to explore change learn there's always somewhere to go uh, and I always have energy it's something I think Marie Marie asked and like I think it was like two hour 30 minutes into the stream she was like where do you get all of this energy from I'm like I don't know I just do and you're not extroverted completely the opposite it's actually funny i had a, a conversation with um a business group earlier earlier in the week and they were talking about introversion introversion and extroversion and the types of people and everyone assumed i was extroverted i'm like no almost the complete opposite you realize i don't actually speak to people i'm talking to a camera <laughs> i'm in my room talking to a camera i have yet to meet an extroverted youtuber <laughs> i'm sure they exist i, I assume they'd be the ones doing live streams but i i really think this is an introvert's game and an introvert's age. 
Potentially, potentially. I, I think it's because a lot of extroverted people are more interested in going out to, I don't want to say parties and having fun, that sort of thing, but they're more interested in going to the park, going to the club, going to a bar, going to a, going doing something with people in person rather than sitting and going, I'm going to, to edit this video for three hours, four hours, yeah. however long it is. But yeah, uh, there, there you go. There, there's the squirrels. Well, the, the the monkey and the it's not actually a squirrel. It's a really bad. I need to get some emojis in here uh, in into the, the the live stream, but I've been putting it off because I've been interested by lots of other things instead. <laughs> do, you, do you at all? And this is merely me just asking if you're interested, because I guess that guides things. Do you do much on the business side of these softwares? Because that's something I've been trying to learn more about, and I'm curious. It seems from st the stuff I've seen, you're very focused on the feature set and the like the product product position is that so as a, as a content creator i look at their marketing i look at what's going on with the marketing of the businesses one see if i can learn anything from them um most of the time i can't <laughs> most, most of the time it's looking at it going why are you doing it like this that doesn't make much sense <laughs> uh, and then when it comes to the 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 business models I pay attention to them as, as a consumer and as someone not not looking to build an app, but looking to understand why they why they do it the way they do. Because um, some apps are evidently like some apps are more either like student focused or low end focused, and some apps are more high end commercial enterprise focused. It, you look at the pricing plans, you go, a student not is not going to be paying fifty five a month to use this app. Yeah, as soon as you see that request pricing button, you're like, this isn't student friendly. <laughs> yeah, and a couple of the apps that I've been exploring recently um, behind the scenes, because I can't speak about them yet, they are they don't have any free trials. Mm. They So you don't even have like a seven-day free trial. You don't have a free plan or anything like that. There's no freemium uh, business plan because they are purely uh, enterprise enterprise applications. Mm. But what's what's interesting about those applications which I can say is most of them do what all the free apps do. They just put it into one app. So you're thinking if, if a company has someone, a team, a, a group of people that understands the free apps, they wouldn't need to pay all of that money for the one app because they could do it all. But then you, then you're working out the business model and how many people they have, how much do they want to divert and like push one way or the other? Do they want to hire a team member just to do that stuff? Mm. So, someone like one of us that that can do can do all of those things. Yeah, the integrated tax tech stack work, and I think that's a big move. I think it's something I've been I resisted for a very long time specializing in one tool. I enjoyed shopping. I I don't know. You said you're doing Obsidian as your notes. I was using Airtable. Go figure, because my brain um, a log of every single tool I was researching and what it integrates with, and you know that whole searchable thing, which I still have. And at a certain point, I was like, no, 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 I'm going to focus on ClickUp. And one thing that I really, that helped me, I think, when I started focusing is I was able to get deeper into the business side. And I was really surprised by how much looking into the LinkedIn team configurations, I mean, the series that series that they are raising, the money that they're raising. And I, it was interesting to see how quickly you could start to create relationships between the business and the product once you actually got the chance to dig in deeper, which I never had done before. So I'm curious, you know, as you get into more of this stuff, how that's going to all connect. And that, that's such, so I guess before I say what I was going to say, your notes, where, where are your notes? What are your notes? What do you take notes on? I don't know. Let me, let me go pull it up. It's been a while. Because right, this is something that's interesting to me is I, I, 
I assume, I don't want to assume, but do you know Tiago Forte, his work? Yeah. Okay. So Tiago Forte, obviously knowledge management, building a second brain, loads of stuff. Uh, but if you're not making content that requires lots of knowledge collection, essentially, what notes do people take? Do they really need whatever, it, like, insert, like Obsidian, Rome, Evernote? Like, do you really need all of this if you're not taking bundles of notes? So I was curious. What? Mm. So what when doing? I was when I was doing deep dives into a bunch of different software, I was tracking things as a database because I wanted to be able to filter information. I was not tracking notes in the sense of like Notion notes as a record. Um, so the things I were tracking, if you want to, I'm going to give you the actual play by play because I have it over on my screen, was their pricing structure, the ideal client for the software, um, the strong and weak integration something had, um, the vibe, the design, the vision, road mapping, public or not, the amount of funding raised, the ownership structure, a few other things. So that's what I was organizing and how I was doing it was in a spreadsheet because I was really prioritizing being able to filter relationships between different tasks, especially on the integration side, because I was doing it with clients at that point. And I need that info um, on the general note side, like processing insights, like, oh, I just watched this really good interview with John Stewart. And, you know, I did this, that and the other. Um, I am actually not a note taker which I know we talked about this a little bit before we started about how we used to take or how we take notes in like a school environment. And I think you shared a little bit about how you were taking notes then. I still take notes the same way I did in school, basically. I, in school, I would take meticulous notes so I had the original source material. So either scanning, maybe verbatim if it was a lecture style, but most things weren't, or recordings. I would put it in a vault with a tag of some kind so I could search it because back then it wasn't quite so searchable. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? Like if you had those, you know, shoddy PDFs that weren't OCR'd. Um, and then the way I actually processed information for me was drawing them, like drawing physical, uh, not physical, but drawing on a piece of paper, a scene, which is what it sounds like you do as well, to draw scenes of information to relate them together. And then that pile of papers would just go in a drawer and never get looked at again. Cause as soon as I drew it, I would retain it forever. But I don't take notes in terms of like, oh, this was really cute. Unless it's a content idea or something like that. I don't take them. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna challenge you a little bit then. So when okay. it comes to consuming information, so mm -hmm. if you're, do you, do you watch podcasts, watch videos I assume? I watch a lot of podcasts and I read a lot of videos. What do you do with it all? Do Because I'm assuming you can't remember everything that's happened. Do so, you take notes on them? Like, what do you do? Uh, you know, earlier in my school days, I would take notes on all of them. And I think if I, if I wanted to, I could probably build out like a Notion database for the notes and track them by topic and such. The only time I'll save anything now is if it's a golden piece of information. Everything else, I kind of view consuming information as like letting a wave wash over you. <laughs> And only if I get like a piece of seaweed that I'm really excited about, will I put it in a database. So I'd say probably I'll watch three videos on a topic. I'll get one core idea that I'll put into, I do have an area in my ClickUp that's like applicable things for personal or for not. But most things do not deserve me to spend my time writing the notes. I just don't need to remember everything that I experienced. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how much time you spend consuming information. Not as much as you, but I would say close. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna say, I, I don't know how much time you spend consuming, but do you reckon there's a balance between consuming information for entertainment and for like a reason? 
So mm. how, how do you balance that? So I commented on one of your nerdy, uh, nerd, oh my God, Notion nerd videos about Myers-Briggs, which I know personality tests are just horoscopes, but one of the things that jumped out about how you and John both talk about information is this perceiving sense of you just absorb information and know it eventually will become useful. I recognize from your discussions that I'm the opposite. So I recognize information as useful at the onset, at the beginning, and have very few things that get past that first step in the funnel versus the flip side where it's collecting and, and it'll become useful in the back end, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's just, it's interesting how, because I mean, the, the, the way I would perceive that in my mind is if you, if you know it's useful, I'm assuming you're relating it to something you already know, which means if, if there's something in there that you don't know, you don't know that it's going to be useful because you don't know what you can link it to. So mm -hmm. essentially you're leaving it behind. That, that, that's how I, would, how I would see that. Yeah, it's just the completely different way yeah. of processing information. But it's also because I, I think you said before about entertainment versus information. I'm often objective based when I'm trying to learn about something. So I don't really sign up for online courses. I don't really, like I don't consume a whole lot of information unless I'm like, I know that was a jab at John. Did, right? did you hear that, John? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, and, and it's because of this wiring, I really think because for me, I'm like, I wanna learn how to master Google Analytics right now. So that's personally what I'm working on. So I my feed and brand deals for YouTube stuff. So maybe we can talk about that. But my feed is literally just a watch list of all of these videos and I'm gonna listen to 10 of them, write down my top five points, and then I'm gonna put it in a task called Google Analytics Info and hyperlink and write my own little two paragraph summary of everything I learned. And it's, I know it's so backwards, not to say I don't just learn things for the sake of learning, but. I know, so, so to me, that's, so when I'm consuming content, I kind of have like two frames of mind. It's, I want, I'm consuming the content to learn something mm -hmm. or I'm consuming the content and maybe I'll learn something. Yeah. <laughs> it, like the, the way that you've described there is how I would consume content knowing I want to get something out of it. Mm -hmm. So do you, I, I'm assuming you do have the, the rabbit holes of social media to some extent, whether that's a social media platform or YouTube or a podcast or whatever, wherever the rabbit hole is for you, maybe it's books. I can't stand reading, but it might be books. Um, <laughs> do you, is your mind thinking, can I take a note from this when just in one of those rabbit holes or is it just, I'm going to click whatever attracts my attention? Hmm. I think, that's, that's an interesting question, especially on social media, right? The way I handle social media is if I fall down a rabbit hole, which I rarely do, cause I delete, like I don't use social media really. So that's again, like this very, I like to put myself in a hole because when I'm in a dark room, I can really focus on my, I'm very introspective. So I like mm -hmm. how quiet that is. Um, but if I am scrolling like on Facebook for business stuff, if I do see something that shocks me out of that passive state, I will do kind of a screenshot method. I will pull out a note. But I would say there's a higher, there's a higher bar for derailing me from my course. If you know, like I'm, I'm here, I want to just relax and watch stupid, whatever on Reddit, like stupid videos on Reddit. If I see something interesting, it needs to be pretty interesting for me to take a note on it. Versus if I'm on a mission to learn about coding and I'm going through the coding subreddits, my bar is much lower. Cause I'm like in that zone. This yeah, is so my, not my, how you're wired, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, my, my brain is, I mean, my brain is like a rabbit, a squirrel brain. It's just like, 
I mean, so as, as an example earlier, so there's a chess tournament going, well, there's chess tournaments going on all the time. Chess tournament going on at the moment. I was watching the stream in the background while I was editing a video um, mm -hmm. and they said something. And as soon as they said it, I looked over and it had nothing to do with chess. It was to do with how they were dealing with the live stream on OBS side. Now, I don't even use OBS, but I'm taking notes on what they were doing with their OBS for their stream for when I potentially use it. And that's while I was editing the video. And that's where my brain goes, irrespective of when I'm watching a film downstairs, for example, I'm just chilling out watching a film. I'll watch it like, I liked that transition. And I'll, I'll note down the timestamp of the transition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will do that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's whenever you're on YouTube though, as a YouTuber, you have to watch for that kind of stuff. But I'm not deliberately watching for it. It just pops <laughs> up and I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, anything, anywhere. Like Seth Godin puts up a, a blog post somewhere like, I like that idea. I like that thought. Mm -hmm. Twitter, same thing. Is I'm, yeah, I, I'm just like, and it always, it always manages to find its way into, this is what I found so far, it manages to find its way into a bundle of five to 10 notes that I can actually build an action from. Yeah. So. And I think that's, I think this is why our, our brains are wired entirely opposite mm. on this, but I think there's a strength to both different, like both ways, right? It takes me probably less information to take an action because I'm hunting for a certain one, but you're yeah. more likely to get to a spontaneous outcome because your webs, your spider webs of information streams are being pulled from all over the place. And so when you do get a web that comes together, it's going to be like, fried chicken over here and that water bottle that reminded you of this coffee flavor that you don't drink because you prefer tea. You know, it, I think it would. There's I've gone down quite a few of those sort of rabbit holes. <laughs> so uh, Gail, Gail said this, uh, I'm not sure whether you saw this in the chat, but the memory of Danny and Layla makes me feel uh, like my memory is very dysfunctional. No, it's just the way everyone has different minds and some people remember some details better than others. It's the same as when you, you're talking with someone that you haven't met in a while and they'll remember a conversation that you had years ago and you're like, what? what are you and, and they remember that for some reason and you don't. Same sort of thing. Yep, I agree. I have no memory for mundane tasks. I didn't, I couldn't remember when my husband and I got married. <laughs> my mother-in-law was here. She's like, how long have you been married? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Am I supposed to know that? <laughs> Apparently so. So I think we all have selective memory. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, so, oh, I, it's, there's so many different questions I could ask for that one, but I'm not going to. No, no, no. You can, he knows I don't remember our anniversary, so it's fine. <laughs> like, so it, it, it's funny. When, when it comes to memorizing information, space repetition, I've done a video on space repetition, mm -hmm. like making it in Notion. The only reason I did that is because that's what I did because it, it was a fun build at the time and I mm -hmm. used it sort of to an extent in, in my studies, not too much because I don't like flashcards, it's boring. Um, it just is. And loads of, loads of people have built it, started using it, uh, and now Remnotes come out, and Remnotes and app for flashcards, obviously Anki, Quizlet, there's loads of them. Um, yep. And have you ever used flashcards, liked flashcards, remembered them or anything like that? I hated flashcards. I, I actually don't like memorization, period. I would, when I when I would have to study something, even now, if I'm trying to process a large amount of information to write, like I just wrote a really big pillar page on our, our blog. I go to a whiteboard, like a physical whiteboard that's like three foot by five foot, which is currently packed because we're moving, but <laughs> it's usually right near me. And I draw an entire scene connecting ideas physically because it helps me process the information. But then once I draw it, it's in my head. Um, 
So no, I, I, I'm not a flashcards person. And I, I think most of the time the human brain spent memorizing information, which I make a lot of jokes around sports fans for this, or even people who like, like fans of, you know, movie stars or celebrities. I can't even remember my own life. I don't understand how some people can remember the lives of celebrities and, you know, batting records and just the trivia. I feel like I'm an alien sometimes just hearing it. Like, how do you have space in your brain for that? But I think it's all, you know, you've got compartments. <laughs> I, I think, I think at some point I, so this is something I, I've, toyed around with my mind, getting people like in, in the productivity space, just to do like a trivia quiz. Cause obviously there's loads of websites and oh. quizzes. And oh. I think it would be so much fun. Like what are the names of the seven dwarves? Happy? Drumby. <laughs> I think that's about it. I think a, a doc I think is one maybe. Yeah. I don't I... Know. Uh, but, but you know what I mean? Just, just because it, it would be interesting and it'd be interesting to see how, how the, the the process of the person's mind works with retaining that sort of information. It's just, yeah. I purposefully try not to. <laughs> but <laughs> I can't remember anything. I can't remember any show, any actor, whatever, because oh, yeah. I think we can just focus in on a certain area. And I think that's a choice that everyone gets to make. And the, brain, the way your brain is wired is going to make it easier um, for one way more than the other. But I envy people who are good at trivia. I am absolutely terrible. Terrible. Do not have me on your trivia team. If you do that, you will lose. <laughs> See, I, yeah, I, I think I, that's probably because our brains work differently. I'm the complete opposite. Yep. I remember completely useless pieces of information and can combine them with loads of other things for no apparent reason. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned on stream yesterday. Uh, was it yesterday? Uh, no, it was Sunday because I didn't stream yesterday. Uh, it was Sunday because I was talking with John. Uh, it was it was the last notion to stream for a while, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I was, we were we were talking, and when I was Cubs, Scouts, Boy Scouts, I'm not sure what you called them, but yeah, when when I was there, we, we used to play a game. We used to go around in a circle, and it was word association. So you'd mm -hmm. go around, and the person. The person before you'd have to say something and then you'd have to come up with something that's similar. And I always won the game because I always came up with the most like obscure random association. Uh, and the next person was like, I wasn't thinking of anything like that. I don't know. <laughs> See, associations I can do, because if you go back to the drawings, I would do associations. But the facts, the fact recall, it's like unless you're following my association trail. <laughs> It's hard to my brain. Yeah, exactly. I think trivia relies on you having the same circuitry as the society that you're in or the culture, the cultural values, right? And <laughs> I don't share a lot of those. There you go. <laughs> All right. I, I'm looking at those and go, oh yeah, of course it is. I, I, I honestly cannot vet whether those are correct or not, but it sounds good. Yeah, no. I thought yeah, there was more. <laughs> no, there's the seven dwarfs. Yeah. Snow White yeah. And seven ah, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I've, got, I've got so many different questions that I want to ask. So do you have any questions for me actually? Cause I know you said, Oh, that's an interesting point that you wanted to ask. Yeah. You've forgotten what it was. Haven't yes, you? I did. yes, I did. <laughs> the, sh showing, showing your memory. Oh yep. Yeah, that's an actionable memory. And you, and you, you let us down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, see, this is why I, I have to be looking for the information. It just came up and it came and went. <laughs> I I would love to talk about YouTube if you want to. I feel like that could yeah. be an interesting topic to dig into a bit if you'd like. Go yeah, ahead. so I have, I have one more question before that then. Sure. When you have meetings as a, as a business person, 
yeah, you have meetings, whether that's with your team, whether, whether, whether that's with a client or anything like that. I assume you take those, the meetings, you take action points from the meetings and you do something with them, I assume. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess it's all in ClickUp and you have a task. Do you make the notes in the task, in the project or in a notepad? Like, what does that process look like when you're having a meeting with someone? Ooh, I think my uh, my method's going to be probably entirely opposite of you, but I will share it and <laughs> maybe there's a common ground. Um, so when I have a meeting, I meticulously plan my agenda. So I'm, uh, I like to overthink things in advance. So like my live streams, I have kind of a story I want to tell. I map it out as if I'm playing like a tabletop game, like, a, you know, <laughs> we're playing Dungeons and Dragons, basically every live stream. Uh, there's a story I want to tell. Um, so I do that with meetings, especially trainings or anything like that. I kind of have a journey I want to take the client on to help them realize something, which I'm not quite sure what it is. After the, or during the meeting, actually, I have kind of the story arc, right? I want them to go on this journey. I want them to think about these certain things. I actually just amend my agenda with the key takeaways. So if the first part of my agenda was like, I want you to really think about your process map and the takeaway was they don't know what a process map was, I would write that as a quick bullet point. So I'm amending the the plan I had, I'm not taking many notes, usually just one or two words. And it might even be handwritten on a um, notepad because it's just like one or two keywords. After the meeting, um, the action items, I will usually type out and then turn into ClickUp tasks. The scratch pad slash agenda is usually somewhere that my client can see. So it might even be like the Google calendar description. Sometimes um, I'll be amending it live and then turn it right into it. So the actual notes don't live anywhere, really. It's so, the if, that lives somewhere. so if something comes up in the meeting that you weren't expecting, which I assume doesn't happen often because you've scripted everything out and you're like, no, th- this is how it's going to go. But if something does appear, does come up, mm-hmm. do how, what's that process? Do you mean like how do I remember it for later, or how do I how do I navigate through that journey? Yeah, how do you navigate through it? So, if for example they ask a question you weren't expecting, uh, mm-hmm. or they bring up a comment you think that's that's actually a better direction. We need we need to talk about this thing before we can talk about what else I planned for. Mm-hmm. How do you? Because obviously you've set out your agenda and now it's suddenly gone sideways. How yeah. do you navigate? Have you ever played like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder? I'm gonna do no. a nerd check here. Have you ever played uh, a tabletop RPG at all? No. <laughs> I, okay. sport, sport has been my life until <laughs> like the last five months, six months. Um, I, I know, I know of them, and I know briefly how some of the games work. Okay. Well, I'm I'm gonna explain the way I handle this because I kind of think it it works the same way as those games. So anyone who knows those kinds of games are gonna get it. Um, when I'm outlining my agendas, it's not like I want them to learn this. It's kind of like um, a, a challenge I want to work through. So there's not like I anticipate a certain reaction to it. It's just that I want us to think about this thing. And the way that that goes could be totally, it could go in a million different directions. And that's actually what ideally should happen. Just like in an adventure path, like you have a combat and everyone's going to handle it in different ways. So you're planning for spontaneity, which I know is totally opposite of the way you would plan for it. But when it comes to the meeting, if something goes totally derailed, I'll just make a note or I'll drag and drop and rearrange the agenda if we need to. But it's usually just a few words that gets us back on track. Um, my whole thing is I don't really like meetings for meeting's sake. That's kind of the efficiency gene. I just, 
uh, I barely worked in corporate and I worked in it long enough to know I hate that meeting culture. And so as long as we're taking steps towards the outcome of the adventure in this case, um, I'm happy. So I don't, I'm not very rigid in that sense. So I'm not doing a lot of edits, I guess. To, I don't know if that answers your question though. It, it, it does and it doesn't. So you, it, in my mind, you have, okay, I'm planning for chaos, but I'm planning for it. So you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're planning for chaos with an agenda. Yeah. Why make an agenda if you know it's going to go? So it's, it's, this is like what I love about systems in general and the way that you structure agendas or trainings, it's supposed to, the way I, <laughs> this makes it sound like I'm like an anarchist meeting planner, but meetings are meant to be kind of conflict. There should be conflict mm -hmm. in meeting to me. And so each of the points in my agenda, which there's usually three to five, not a lot, is intended to be a environment to create some kind of conflict. Um, so really like if you think about it in a video game sir, terms, the, the big bad, right? The, the major combat scene, that's what I have on my agenda. Argue about or think about your process. That is intended to be an argument or a discussion depending on how you view um, debates really. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's what it is. Each agenda point is prompting, like, what should we argue about? Because otherwise, sometimes conversations, especially with clients, you have a clock ticking, right? You have one hour, you have five hours, you have 15 hours. It's not a lot of time to get to the meat. So I feel like we need to almost artificially compress and really, uh, we need to kind of not sucker punch with the prompt. But I think sometimes opening up and saying, all right, so why are you a hot mess? is gonna be a lot more effective than, so how's your business doing right now? And then 30 minutes later getting to, oh, so things are messy. Like I, I'd rather just us get to the point. Yeah, completely agree. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's actually interesting. That's that's essentially, so in my mind, that's that's how I coached anyway. Like you, you can't, you can't sugarcoat most of the things that people need. Um, I, I think I, I said this with um, Bass uh, when he was on stream on Saturday. I was like, broccoli. Like we, we were talking about app security. Like the, the broccoli. No one, no one wants like as a kid. No one wants to eat their broccoli or the the Brussels sprouts or peas, whatever. The green. No one wants to eat it. Um, but but it's kind of needed. Uh, and unless you bring it to them and you say, okay, this thing, whether it's planned for or not planned for, and it just pops up, comes up, however it is they still need to go through that process uh it's it's just so do you plan your meeting yeah how, how do you plan out your meeting it sounds like they're just very general bullet point questions rather than a structure that's probably it's, it's a lot like i i plan out my actually no less less so than i plan out youtube videos um yeah i would say it's more so prompts and because okay. i now get to do a similar type of work so when I did flexible consulting, where it's like, I'll solve your problem, it was a lot harder to do agendas. Now that I'm uh, <laughs> talking about broccoli, <laughs> but when you're used to a certain container, you know how to work that container to get to the result, which is probably a lot like training actually. Um, and, and I know someone just commented about conflict is a meeting or something. I just wanna clarify, a good meeting is conflict, but you make conflict that people enjoy, right? Like it's, it's brainstorming, discussion, getting excited about something that's still a form of conflict in my mind. And so when I'm planning meetings and I'm used to the container, I know what I need to get to. And I prefer to skip niceties, sometimes <laughs> my loss and just try to get to that point because that's when they're really gonna feel like the meeting is worth their time. They're not gonna remember the, hey, how are yous, you know, two days later when they still didn't solve their problem in the time we had. 
Yeah, exactly. And in so in in pedagogy and sports coaching, coaching context, it was it was termed uh, cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. So creating dissonance in their own mind, going, okay, maybe I should actually check myself on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, they will become really, really defensive if you challenge someone. Most people, it, their initial is, no, I'm not. Always back on the fence and defensive. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you if you know how to probe appropriately, uh, you can get them to challenge themselves. Uh, and and I assume that's what you're trying to do there. You're trying to help them challenge themselves with something that they've they've done or they're doing or want to do. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's where the art comes into it. Mm. And I, I usually think by the time people get on a call with you, they're in a certain state that they're, especially like depending, I know we talked a little bit about this before, but like depending on the price you're charging for your services, I think the more someone pays for it, the more they're willing to listen the more they're willing to really put themselves out there. That's what I found at least, especially now people come and they're like, look, here's what's happening. <laughs> here's what's not working. Um, and I think just making sure that the conflict, I'm viewing it as a conflict in my meeting agenda, they're not getting the meeting agenda. They're, we're just having a conversation and like a good interview, hopefully I'm going to get to those conflict points. <laughs> well, I've just seen this comment from Lizzie. <laughs> conflicts though i yeah. i'll keep the quotes around them yep. <laughs> yep. No one, I, I don't know maybe i should ask some of the people i've gotten on calls with before but i haven't had anyone yet tell me it felt like a conflict it's just that's how i um that's how i hype them up it, it's a productive conversation i i mean uh, where was it oh it was literally the latest comment i hate hate chit chat yeah I, I can't stand chit chat why are we talking if there's no point to it there's got to be a reason to it uh i mean that's probably the academic in me being like why why am i here <laughs> Um, uh, and you're and you're going backwards and forwards with ar- arguments, different different sides of the coin. And I think that the best conversations is when both people understand both perspectives and can rationally argue both sides, rather than it's just I'm right and that's it. <laughs> when you have that, then it becomes a little bit of a struggle in a conversation. That's what I found anyway. Yes. Especially with clients, if we're going to take that application, there there are clients who want to hire someone to argue with, but there's not meat behind the stance. And I think figuring out how to respect that and also suss that out beforehand is one of those things that takes some learning. But I, I totally agree with you. I think that's where the real value comes is not conversation for information, because I don't think we need that as much anymore. Maybe that's the millennial in me or whatever the heck I am. Um, <laughs> Whatever, whatever it is. Um, yeah, there's so many of the things like Gen. I don't. Alphabet. <laughs> That's so. in that cultural knowledge, right? We'll just... <laughs> but but discussion for argument's sake or for seeing something in a new way that is really interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, and and, it, and it's fun as well. Yeah. Again. It, it's, it's, um, it, it's expanding expanding knowledge um i i realized i've missed a couple of other things not a meeting just a, a powwow i don't know what that's in response to but never 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 <laughs> <laughs> never uh, uh yeah so i had i had a, a question but you were you were going to go through youtube you were going to ask something about youtube oh yeah i just wanted to chat a little bit about your kind of like youtube journey so far because i feel like that is especially i mean if we want to take the introvert angle on it youtube in many ways is a monologue and so i'm interested to see like how you as someone who really enjoys kind of the debate of conversation have found youtube as a platform because me i'll just share this and we can maybe riff off this a bit is that producing content it so much sounds like a declarative sentence right like it's 
this is how you period, you know, whatever it is. And I think that's what the algorithm likes. That's what viewers tend to watch. Um, and it makes it kind of hard to be someone who wants to have a broader discussion on the platform. So I'm just wondering, I mean, did you find that to be the case or is that why you do these streams or am I just, is it just me? Interesting. I mean, there's so many things I could, I could go with. I'm going to, I'm going to go with algorithm to start with. I don't like the term algorithm at all when it comes to YouTube because, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not an algorithm. It's people. Um, because essentially the, the machines are looking at what the people do, the people data. Uh, mm -hmm. and when, when you look at any of the, the YouTube coach creators that are out there, Nick Newman, Roberto Blake, Daryl Eves, insert name, there's loads of them. Uh, mm -hmm. they all talk about, yeah, they, they all talk about pleasing the individuals. Uh, and I think when you're doing how to content, typically they're going to find it through search. So the people that are finding that video in that context just want how do I do this one thing? So, so doing those videos do better because the people that are finding them want that information. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're putting those sorts of videos in browse, for example, people aren't looking for how to do that thing. So the browse obviously won't do it as well. So those sort of videos need a different type of content. So I, I think I, I spoke, I spoke with John briefly about it as well is if, if you're going to focus like, to start my channel, like growing, I when when Notion started doing well, I was like, okay, how to's is where I want to focus. Yeah. So this is how you do this thing. This is how you do this thing. I got an audience. Now I want to try and hit browse because browse is where a lot of people are, and you can start building out. And there's some new new metrics coming into the YouTube backend, uh, which will be I can't remember what the official terms are, but they're they're essentially branding the people, the, the three people, whether you have like people coming in and going out of one type of viewer. Oh, people, right, I saw that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people coming in and going out of one type of user, people that just watch everything or another type of user, and people that watch a couple of videos and then go out or another type of user. That's not released yet, is it? No, okay. no, they, they, they spoke about it. Yeah, I spoke about it a few months ago. And the how-to content is great for the people that come in and out. Mm -hmm. But they, they don't create a relation with the people. Uh, mm -hmm. So, as a, as a person, as a new creator, I think how-to content is the easiest way to start because it's just, this is how you do this thing. And there's there's a story written. There's, yep. there's no real difficulty about it other than just being consistent with making videos that are useful. Yeah. When you start moving out of that and you start to put your yourself in videos and you start to be more personal, try to relate with the other person, that's where I guess being more extroverted in your context is more useful. Explain what you mean by that. Uh, because you're because you're trying to relate with other people, you need to have an understanding of what who you're talking to and what you should shouldn't say to relate with that that person with the story you're trying to tell in the video. Hmm. Um, so tools on text. Thank you very much. It hasn't come up on come up on Streamyard yet, but I will I will bring it up as soon as it comes up. Yeah, I've got YouTube. There it is. There we go. Thank you very much, Bass. Uh, Awesome, and uh, we, Bass is coming on in a couple of weeks as well to talk to talk again. He loved it so much. <laughs> he loved the conversation so much. He's coming back on. Um, but yeah, so with, with the with the content, uh, when when you're trying to relate to people, mm -hmm. you need a sort of a, uh, an understanding of who you're talking to and how to relate with those people, um, which I would see as more of a, an extroverted thing because you need to be able to open up a little bit so you can be relatable. With a how-to video, you don't really huh. need to go through it. 
I don't, okay, okay. So I wanna dig into the relator thing, but I wanna back up a second. And your point about the algorithm, the only point I'll contest on that is I do think algorithm is probably still the right word just because some human actions matter more than others. And mm -hmm. I think, I mean, that is the algorithm. The fact that people subscribe and that now really doesn't help them see our content at all. <laughs> I feel like there is, I mean, I'm now not even telling people to subscribe in my videos anymore because it doesn't matter. So I'm just saying, leave a comment because that actually does help. So I do think there's a little bit of algorithm versus humans because YouTube doesn't care about what the humans want. I feel like humans would click subscribe and expect to see the content, but they don't. Um, but I'm, it's interesting to me that for you, the, the line is how to content to relational or like, I think that's the word you used, like relating yeah. to your audience content. Like how do you, what, what would you define as that kind of content in terms of like, if we were to look at a common, a famous YouTuber who kind of made that leap, or if you have some examples of people who do that kind of content. Loads, <laughs> loads. Uh, I'll go with Thomas Frank because he's probably the, the most well-known in, in this context. When you yeah. go back into Thomas's videos uh, or Tom's videos, Tom, whatever, when you go back into his videos, they were very much, um, this is how I do something. And they didn't do very well. Then he did some like app specific videos. So these are the task management apps I use. And they were just, this is this, this is this, this is this. There was no personality to it. Mm. That started growing his channel a bit. Uh, and then when he had an audience, he then started talking about theories of other people. So it had nothing to do with him. And it was theories of other people. And again, that grew the channel. But people, you could see his video. One video did really well. And then the next video just tanked because they came in for the knowledge about something else and then disappeared because they didn't care about what he was saying. Then yeah. when he started going, okay, this is how I do things, and then started bringing himself into the video. So his his gamey, nerdy, like whatever the game cards he was using, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, I don't remember which one it was. But he started bringing videos to know. <laughs> but he started bringing in part of his personality into the videos. Then you, I mean, I've done loads of studies. You can see that they start to flatline. So you you still get the, the one video that he's done that's just generic. Here's a discoverable video. Um, but that baseline started to increase because people started relating to him because they had something to cling to. I like that game too. I like this idea. I like whatever it was. And they go, I relate to that person. Yeah. But you have to open up to an extent for that to even be in the video. I mean, I, I wouldn't be talking on camera <laughs> if I hadn't opened up. But does it need to be relatable content to be relatable? When, like when it comes to Catherine Manning, right? I'm thinking Catherine Manning. She's, mm -hmm. you know, she, just like many of the female productivity people or female tips people, I don't know why. It's always vloggy, right? There's always that vlog thing and like, here's my target shopping experience. Um, but she, that was one way that I've seen in her content. If you look back through the storyline, she went from how to, to personal, to straight up having a vlog, but it wasn't by actually changing the content style for some of the videos. It was by the filming style. Mm -hmm. So do you think, yeah. What do you make of that? Do you really think it needs to change the content style or it just needs to change the content substance? Both work because they both create a relatable aspect to it. So her, I, I've followed Catherine since about 700 subs. So I'm I'm very familiar with her channel. Yes. 
but so her first videos were very much this is how I do this for SEO blogging and all the other stuff for those that don't know her channel that's what she was about blogging and Pinterest and then she progressed uh, and then the vloggy style content started opening up her world through not talking but through showing so it's it's mm -hmm. still it's still letting people in and being able to relate to fancy her dog. They could still relate to part of her life, but she had to share her life for it to be related. Hmm. So it's, it's still relatable. It's just how you do that, whether it's something you're saying or something you're showing it's yeah. When you look at Mr. Beast, same sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> same sort of thing. Yeah. His, his old videos, no one cared about who he was. But it's, it's, I mean, he's even said it. No one cared what I was doing. People started caring when he started talking, like what did he count? It's like a hundred thousand or something in a video. People are like, okay, who is this guy? Why is he doing this? This is stupid. <laughs> so it, it brought interest to him. And then he started doing things that were just completely out there. And he, he became relatable because he was doing things that people were just like, how, how do you do that? And it wasn't a, I relate to you because I'm like you. It's I relate to you because I have no idea how you do that. Hmm. Um, but he had to put himself out there to to get the same with PewDiePie. PewDiePie's first videos, like you said, really, really cringy, really, really bad. He was just really introverted. Then when he started doing the horror films and he started screaming, people could relate to it. They found it funny. But he had to, he, he even said it in, a, in an interview with, I can't remember who it was, some web show interview thing. He was saying the first video he did doing the horror thing, he was terrified about it because he thought people were going to think he looked stupid because he was scared about this thing. So he had to open up for people to relate to him. And I was like, okay. And, and again, it's the same, it, it's the same story. People having to do something they're not comfortable with, which is pushing that, I, I don't wanna say extroverted value, but it's, it's pushing the boundaries of something you're comfortable with for people to be able to relate to whatever you're doing. Hmm. I kind of see it. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna dismiss that that's definitely what is being that's like the common thing, right? Like if we were to look up how to scale your YouTube channel, right? It's become relatable, have someone follow you and trust what you're saying. But I feel like right now there's such a pressure to just open up, like to just show my world. Like I, I think there's also a case to be made for, I think there's more than one way to be relatable. Mm -hmm. and I think how-to content can become extremely relatable when it's like, not just what you share, but what you don't share. I, I don't know. I, I personally, something I've been exploring is like the value of curation, the value of what you don't, um, whether you don't say or you don't distract. I feel like right now for me, uh, it's really this fascination with how not seeing things or not hearing things or, or in the online course example, not having more lessons, how less is actually more helpful to people. And I wonder how that relates to scaling up YouTube channels, because I agree with you, all the channels in recent history that I can point to it was a relatability thing that built trust. I'm just wondering, is that what it's going to always be? Or is there something, like, is there a new way? So I, th I, d I don't think it's new. The way I see it is when you go all the way back to like cavemen, right? Mm -hmm. It's people telling stories and that's, that's how sort of things got spread. If you're looking for growth in a social platform, you need to be able to tell a story to some extent for people to, either be like, oh, that was cool, or that's different, or that's that's unique, or that was scary. There's, there's gotta be a talking aspect about it. A how-to video, unless people are looking for it, it there's, there's no talking, because you need someone to have that problem for it to be solved. 
Whereas if it's just uh, something that's just, wow, okay, it, it's a talking point that could go on. So how-to is more of a, an evergreen style style content, and there's nothing wrong with it. It still builds a channel. I just don't think the uh, velocity is going to be as, as big because <laughs> it's going to take time. Uh, and if people aren't asking those questions either enough or in the future, then your content sort of disappears. Not your content, but the content. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, your content. No, but the, con yeah, the content sort of disappears. So, for example, if Notion, for example, crashes, explodes, disappears for whatever reason, my channel becomes completely irrelevant with almost every single video I've done. So the only people that will stick around is people that have related to me. But I don't think it takes relational content to do that. I think that's my argument. That's my theory right now that I'm offering. I don't feel connected at all to JK Rowling, but I like her books. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I don't, you can, I feel like you can build trust and authority without being relatable because story is not ex like I think story can be used in all applications. Being a good storyteller can be around anything. I can tell you a story about sales because I'm selling a sales something and you're still gonna like and trust me because it's a story format, even if it's a how-to. Like I almost think they're, they can simultaneously exist. And mm -hmm. it's just something I'm personally researching a lot. So I don't know. <laughs> so, I'm interested, I'm curious. So JK Rowling, obviously she's made a story of her life through characters in Harry Potter. I assume you follow because of Harry Potter, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just, as an example of an author in her books, because oh. I don't know anyone famous, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But to, as an example, I don't know anything about her life at all, but I do enjoy her books or I did when I was a kid. And therefore I feel connected to that story, that brand. I guess that's kind of the difference. It's brand versus person. That's what I'm trying to draw the line between. And I think that's probably where we're, yeah. that's for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the the brand versus personal is obviously dependent on where you're going to go in the future. Mm. Uh, if, if, if people are connecting to a brand, you can disappear and then the brand still have the reputation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Seth Godin isn't a fan of that purely because uh, you're reliant on something external that could be taken away. So you're creating a relation around a brand, around something else rather than you. So if, uh, for example, the the crafts, crafts videos, the, oh, I can't remember the name of the channel, but the, the ones where they do like the 10 crafty things of how to do this with your home, home utensils, anyone could make those videos mm -hmm. um, and people would watch them and relate to them. Mm -hmm. But as, as a person trying to grow, it, it, no one knows who, who made it. So a brand would work, but personally, they wouldn't. Like the, the person making the video, if they were to make a video on another channel mm -hmm. and no one knew that they were making the same videos, mm -hmm. essentially they're starting from scratch. You take a big YouTuber and they do, Thomas Frank, for example, started a, essentially a Notion channel. He, he got 6,000 subs just because of him, just because he is him had nothing to do with the Notion content, just he is him. I, I just feel like a person is one element. That's I think that's, that's my thing. I think a human is one element. The brand is another element. The style and aesthetic choices, the curation. I feel like there's so many elements that we can play off of that so often in YouTube, it's like, share everything about your life. And I'm so tired of that. I'm tired of that social media strategy of, let me show you what I had for breakfast. And I feel like culturally, but then again, maybe I'm just not plugged in. <laughs> I just, I, I would love to see all of those other things. Cause I can picture, let's use Catherine Manning again. She started a vlog 
She brought her own life over there, but really it was her following for her brand. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I, you could say it's because she went to the other channel or you could say it's because her brand started an offshoot. So I, I would say in her case, she is her brand. Yeah, it's probably a hard example. <laughs> yeah, so so for her, I think it's a it's a hard example with that. Um, oh, five five minute cross. There you oh, go. Video influencers, There's sorry, video influencers. That whole crowd, right? They have how yeah. many different channels, and it's brand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I would say with that is think think media and Sean Cannell, uh, kind of like associated anyway. And then video influencers, obviously Benji Harris. But Benji Benji has a vlog that he built himself so he has a personal brand sean has a personal brand and then their business is like no one no one follows so from my from my understanding of it, not no i'm not going to say no one because there probably is but not many people follow video influences and doesn't follow either benji or sean like i would imagine they're going to follow what yeah I, I only follow the influencers channel but that's just me <laughs> because i i enjoy that style of content i i, I think it's just it's it's like scaling up personal relationships versus treating internet content as its own as its own entity almost its own yeah. language its own persona. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I don't think there's anything. So when it when it comes to the the whole sharing the life thing, I I I, I don't care what I have for breakfast, what time I woke up. Like I with, with when I watch those videos, I'm like I'm not fast. I'm I'm gonna skip through that bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna push the arrow key and skip through that bit. Um, but but I know a lot of younger consumers just watch it for entertainment rather than deliberate consumption. Mm -hmm. uh, and when when you're looking at creating videos, I guess depending on the audience you have. True. Depending on the audience you're targeting, because if you're targeting someone like us that doesn't care what you ate or what time you woke up, um, <laughs> the videos aren't gonna help. Uh, yeah. But I would say that audience is smaller uh, mm -hmm. as, as a general rule of thumb. So I guess it kind of may, maybe it caps, maybe it gives you an audience cap going going one way or another. Um, I mean, Mr. Beast and Daryl Eves obviously focus on the, the 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 financial. Just this is just stupid. Why would anyone do this? Um, re relatable thing. Like, why would you give someone a million dollars just because? Mm -hmm. Because the video content. What? Um, and it worked for him, but it won't work for anyone else. Hmm. Because you've done it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Personally, I'm just fascinated by paying for silence. And I just see that as a trend. And I think it's going to pick up. Paying for, I keep saying curation, but Netflix got rid of ads for us. Everything is now getting rid of noise and ads. People are building online courses. So you're getting away from these loud consumer platforms. People are building memberships. So that way you're inside your own YouTube portal. I just feel like, building bubbles where the other stuff isn't distracting you. I, I almost think it, it's, it's a trend that I, I could see being applied to a mass influencer scale, but it probably would not result in subscribers. And I think when we're defining big YouTube, it's usually by subscribers and views and really. Um, so that's, that's an interesting question. How, how do you describe, how, how would you say someone is a big YouTuber? What, what signals to you that they're a big YouTuber? I'm curious. Well, that's what I was saying. I think we were probably all thinking subscribers, but if we're really being honest, I think if I were to think about it, it would be actually the business behind it, whether it's the personal brand or the business, the bottom line of that, which is why it would probably be hard to tell.
I was going to say, what, what metrics are you looking at then when, when you say business? Um, I'm referring to profit, probably. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe that's the whole divide here. I just, I picture someone with 20,000 subscribers could easily have this bubble, this elite kind of curated space that I could pay to just only experience one type of thing, which is bad and good. Um, and just, I don't know, just get a curated education around a certain specific topic. You wouldn't see that in the YouTube statistics. You'd see that on the back end of the actual environment that they're building. Yeah. This is just the storefront. Oh yeah. And there, there are loads of channels that do that. There are loads of channels. So, uh, I, I actually know there's a, there's a channel that's, uh, they're into antique watches. <laughs> and they have they have like seven thousand subs, but they're they're in six figures because right. antique watches have loads and loads of money. Yeah. <laughs> like people, people that are buying watches of like seventy, eighty thousand plus, um, they they're not exactly poor. So the adsense on the videos are obviously quite high. They the affiliate sales are through the roof, but they only have seven thousand mm-hmm. subs, and they only get like a few hundred views in a video. Um, so yeah, the 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 revenue on that side they're they're a successful youtuber you don't need subs mean nothing long story short i think i asked you the wrong question at the beginning of this i think we were talking about how to grow on youtube and that's the stupid it's a dumb question (laughs) yeah and and that's why i think relatability does i think you're right on on youtube to grow relatability to grow period maybe not so to grow an audience there we go we're specific to grow an audience on youtube i think relatable content to grow an income on youtube i would probably say profitable content which could be curated information uh i mean when you look at people like roberto blake like he when you look at his views they are awful when you look at the amount of subscribers he's got Mm. but when you look at his business he's a massively successful youtuber that earns loads of money through all of the different affiliate marketing programs adsense blah 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 loads of other income streams um and then uh graham stefan is another one when when you look at and go he's managed to do a bit of both uh but he's got what three channels now earns so much money on the AdSense side because of the topics he's talking about. So yeah, it's, you can build a business with a small channel on YouTube, but for an audience, I think the, the relatable aspect is not necessarily needed, but it definitely helps. Yeah. And I do think a lot of the larger YouTubers do that's, that's definitely the, the journey forward. And I think, thank you for helping me process out out loud in front of your audience, because it's something I've been mulling over and I haven't been able to quite get my brain untangled around it, but now I'm, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that assessment. <laughs> yeah, th- th- this this comes from the last three years of consuming Nitnim and streams, videos, and everyone else's content. <laughs> I like all, all of them focus on different things and I know how to be a channel of all the different types. Um, I, I know all the theory behind it all. I haven't done most of it, but I know how to do most of it um, because I personally want to just follow on fun. So uh, I, I know I keep coming back to fun, but yeah. I, I would much rather have like a, a channel where I'm enjoying every video, every piece of content I put out. I'd much rather do that than have a channel that either I'm doing the videos for the views because I want to grow and I'm not having fun bad result um or i'm doing the videos because i know they earn me more money again it's not fun bad result i i, I can say now i'm quite open with with the, the stuff on my channel i've done a video with the adsense as well which i don't, I don't know why i did it like i got asked so many, 
uh, yeah, I've done a video on like my, the behind the scenes of my AdSense just because people oh. kept asking me. Um, but yeah, if, if I was to do Notion videos specifically around project and task management, my, my channel would earn me loads of money. Well, not loads of money, but enough money um, that I, I could sustain myself. And I could make loads of Notion templates, sell the templates, and it would be a profitable business. But it's not fun. Doing the same thing over and over and over again is insanity. <laughs> are, you, are you thinking short-term fun or long-term fun? Um, both. Okay. <laughs> both. Yeah. So, I mean, I, like I said, I, I've done over 100 Notion videos. And I've made multiple templates. I don't know how many. Um, and I can do it. It's not challenging for me, but it's it's not fun to make more templates. It's not fun to make more Notion videos. And the majority of the Notion content that I have on my channel already answers almost all the questions that I get given. It's just mm. a case of me pointing them to a video I've already made. So when it comes to creating the content, why would I make a video I've already made just slightly better? It's that bit isn't fun for me yeah um and i, and I don't know whether you whim based Sorry? which is not bad fun fun is like whim based more so just um yeah 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 it, it, yeah it's it's following following my interest at that time which financially like as a business person I, every business person I've spoken to hates the way that I deal with stuff. They're like, but you could be earning this. You could be charging that. You could be doing this instead. I'm like, it's not fun. <laughs> I don't think that's very important is just the, is just going beyond the, I think fun is just something that is, con <laughs> yes, okay. That's I, business I people. That is business people. I'm sorry. I think what it comes down to is fun is chasing something that you're really interested in. And for me, it's energy freedom. And like everything is about just being able to just be able to do what I want to do. But for me, I want to build a little empire that supports me doing that. And so for me, everything is about trying to build that stability and redundancy and systems because I just like the idea of that, that security, I guess. And to me, that's fun. It's like playing Roller Coaster Tycoon. I actually bought on Steam. I bought like some legacy games of like tycoons and medieval times, all the retro games from the 90s I used to play. And this, I'm mentioning a lot of gaming in this channel, but but I stopped playing you and John like having having a, a full on nerd out because <laughs> John talks talks off stream about all these games. I'm like, I don't know what any of those are. So. I mean, these are retro, barely even games by today's standard, but they're like creating, you're building little worlds, right? Think Minecraft stuff. And yeah. when I realized like business to me is that. I it's that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think you can build a whole environment around something versus experiencing a moment of something. That's how I think about it. And that's why like I've built my channel the way I have and the business behind it, because I just want to be able to like you mentioned, I think for your first videos, you did two months in advance or or in two months, you created all of your first batch of content. Is that right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, I, I did a lot of video, a lot of making of videos. When I started, I did something similar. I did 16 videos in one week because I, I was unemployed because of COVID. Like I lost all my clients in one week. And um, I just focused on videos and I scheduled them out over the next two months. And just that security of being like, ah, there's something happening, like I'm building towards something, which at the time was making me no money and doing, you know, just a lot of work. That was fun. But I think it's just, you know, what is fun. And as long as it's what you enjoy, then 
there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. I mean, so Tools and Tech or Bass said, said uh, finding something you enjoy, become very good at it and profit, yeah. I, <clears throat> I, I'm doing that, um, but the, the profit side of things, I know could be better, but... And I think it's, it's a slightly different situation as well because I'm still at home, so mm -hmm. I'm not needing money. If mm -hmm. I needed money, I would probably edge more towards the finances, but I don't need it. Yeah. Um, whereas people, obviously, like yourself or John, like you, you kind of need money. <laughs> like yeah, you need it to live. <laughs> yeah, I, I quit my job with no plan, and that's when I started my business. So I was very much money focused from the beginning because it you you need to make an income or you need to get a part time job, which I did for a short time. Um, but knowing that insecurity of not knowing where you're going to, you know, pay the rent or this, that, and the other, that is enough to, I think, inspire a real desire for stability. Um, but if I didn't have to, I wouldn't, you know, like I, I did a lot of work for free, especially when I was a student, I built, you know, tons of little creations just for fun. So I'm curious then you, you want your own, or you've got your own bubble. Um, are you, I, I know it's I know it's ClickUp and process. So is it how are you going to manage that way forwards? If something does happen to ClickUp, I imagine you're trying to build not necessarily something separate, but something alongside as processes. Mm -hmm. what, what what's the bubble looking like in the future? Then I'm, I'm I don't know whether you thought that through, but what, what what does the bubble look like in the future? I've thought it through. Have I come to an outcome on it though? <laughs> No, I, I mean, I acknowledge it's it's a general weakness of the entire little bubble or the entire little building we're, we're building here. Um, it's, it's heavily reliant on one tool right now. My hope is that the processes side will take off and there's a lot of evergreen, just always good content you can talk about with SOPs that do not get much airtime and are generally, if they do get airtime, really, really boring. Um, so I think for me, that's where I want to go next, just because I really, I see this little sparkle in SOPs that people don't, and I want everyone else to see it. Um, so that's probably where I'm heading to diversify a little bit while still keeping things complementary. So I'm curious, how, how this, I, I know this is <laughs> going to be like really side, how much have you followed the, the chess world on YouTube recently? Okay. Is it considered culture? Yeah, I haven't followed it. <laughs> Okay, that's where I was like, side. so I know you're in that, so go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, so before Queen's Gambit and before Hikaru and, and Gotham Chess actually started doing stuff on YouTube, chess was as boring as you can imagine. It's like, here's a two hour lecture on the insert opening, it's boring. Um, and now the whole world of chess on YouTube has changed. Like, you, you look at thumbnails, it was just a chess board, now you have like Hikaru's face on Iron Man. <laughs> it's just fun. Is that the sort of thing you want to try and bring into the process? You want to bring like fun enjoyment into something that is traditionally looked at as boring. That is exactly what I, yeah, don't give it away. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's that's exactly what I'm hoping. If you search process mapping, uh, process flow charts, um, SOPs, it's going to be a bunch of, you know, 90s, 2000s slide decks with, you know, a clip art cover photo and everyone presenting is going to be over 60, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I think there's a fresh perspective on it. And especially kind of like what you were talking about with sports in terms of technology and, and SOPs done right, instructions for work done right, should make work more human, not less. 
And I just want to like, that's the message that I would really like to drive home. And that's where I started on YouTube. <laughs> and just like you, no one was searching for that. So I really ended up going to ClickUp. And now I'm hoping to circle back to that now that I have that baseline information down. Comes back to broccoli. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's broccoli that exactly. I love. <laughs> it's it's you need to bring the meat and potatoes to to the meal. Yeah, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how you approach that because I, I I have I know I know what people are interested in. How you bring people like that sort of styled content into something that is traditionally bland. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting. And obviously it takes a, a certain person first. They need to understand what they're talking about. Otherwise it's pointless, but they also need to have a, not necessarily a sense of humor, but again, comes back to sort of like the relating, just something to make it fun in delivery. Yeah. Um, which a lot of people in the SOP world, sorry, just aren't. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that's my greatest strength either. Like I'm not a comedian, but What's interesting about the space and why I originally, when I started my business, I was attracted to it is it's a very, like sports management, I did not plan for this, but it all circles back. It's a very mature industry. The mm. experts in this space, which I'm not, I'm not the, yet there, um, they've been around for a while. There's, you know, GTD style. There's the books that everyone reads that are still, you know, 30 years old plus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so there's a lot of knowledge out there. And I think... I think that's a really valuable asset to have. And there's a lot of partnerships and collaboration opportunities when I go down that route, if I can figure out the right style, which I think that's the most fun part of YouTube is experimenting with the stylistic touches, which hard to search for on YouTube. But if you start you know, watching, you can start to see those things. Um, yeah, that's... So when it, when it comes to, I guess, target audience, are you still targeting the same people they will be targeting? Yeah, so my audience right now is older than most of YouTube, um, which is probably not surprising. It's usually, I mean, statistics wise, it still probably skews a little bit on the young side, but people who really engage are usually late thirties to mid fifties in terms of my audience. And, yeah. Okay. So it's mature business owners. They're super, super smart. Um, they're just struggling with this piece. So I think that audience, they're hungry for information that is relevant to today. And it's one of those few spaces where being young is actually going to help me, I think, stand out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good, good point. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to uh, go into the chat. So there are a couple of questions I want to go through um, just so we don't just so that they don't feel forgotten. Uh, <laughs> how much money do people make selling templates? Uh, that is completely dependent on the person, the price of the template and what the template is. When you look at some students in Notion, like they make templates, they are nothing. <laughs> you look at Marie, she sells a template, I think for like $150 and she sells loads of them um, because of who she is, the reputation she has uh, and, and the course that she has as well and the funnels that she's made, the business funnel she's made around the templates. So she owns a lot. I know John charges a fair amount for his templates as well. So it depends. I, I know that's a really nasty answer, but yeah. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I think it very much depends. Most people, it's free though, unfortunately, mm. for the creators. A lot of the time, it's free or $5. So it's a volume game a lot of the time. And I think it depends what you're making the template for as well. So if, if you're making a template for the money, then you're probably going to make a different template to if you want to help people out. Like my student template that I've made in, in Notion, uh, I, I sell very, very cheaply in comparison with all the other templates out there because it's for students to start with. Um, and it's mainly for people that 
can't be bothered to build it and they're just like oh, i just spend this this small amount to do it um so it's it's more of a helping people get started rather than a, this was this is your solution to your problem if it's right. a that sort of template it makes more sense to charge a bit more yeah or charge anything i think there's a big place for just charging nothing which is why we oh, create yeah. youtube content like there is a place to just help so sorry I was going to say, just look at Seth Godin with his with his marketing. Like he he blogged every day for how many years, earning nothing from it, just building up a reputation, and he still does. Yep. Yeah, yeah. there's a huge place for that, and it's an important piece of. I I personally, if this helps whoever I forget the person who asked that question, but I don't charge anything for the templates that I offer. So it's like everything is free, and then if you want to work with me, then you get everything for free. <laughs> like it's all bundled together, and that was the way I thought about it. Because for me, like all those little nickel and dime offers just felt very stressful. <laughs> yeah. Felt like an infomercial, but I know that's the funnel method. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking for a question mark. I, I see a question mark in the middle of a sentence, but uh, would you, yeah, there we go. Oh, it, it's another charging thing. Would you guys charge per hour? I'm assuming hour as consultants or per day-ish, if you can <laughs> answer. Can, can you answer? Is your stuff- I can answer. It, okay. it might change, but uh, yeah. So right now I have one hour sessions for 450 US dollars and I probably could raise it because mm -hmm. yeah, YouTube's amazing. That's <laughs> much better than it used to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, it's, it's significantly lower. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you know how much I care about money. I don't even remember how much it is. I think it's thirty pounds for half an hour or an hour. I can't even remember. <laughs> um, you, you'd have to go on the website to be honest to, to find it because uh, money is really not my focus. Yeah, it, 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 it's just not. Um, which, like I say, when when business people hear me say that, like, how much do you charge? I'm like, I don't know. I need to go to my website. I can't remember. <laughs> But it's all, it, it's apples and oranges, right? Mm -hmm. Like mine is factoring in the cost of the admin and the prep and the stuff that they get and this, that, and the other and the post prep and the recording and all this. And if you're just showing up for a call, that's very different. And if you don't need to make money from it and you'd rather get the experience reps, like I started just for reference, I started my business charging $18 an hour. So <laughs> yeah, I, there's a journey you have to go on to fig to get the reps and figure out where you want to be settled. Volume, quantity, quality. And I'm not done yet. I'm sure none of us will be. <laughs> no, no, there's there's always like a pound more that you, or a pound or a dollar you can like charge charge more. You can always you can always push a price. Yeah. You you're not supposed to lower it, but people do. You certainly can. I think it depends what you want too. You're in, it, pricing is just an incentive thing. Like this is the econ student hat once upon a time coming back, but it's just what signal you want to send. Like if I wanted to book a ton of one-on-one -on -one sessions and kill myself in terms of an energy level, I would be charging $20 an hour, but I don't <laughs> and I can't. So I have a, what we call it, like a, there's a competitive advantage where you're really good at something naturally. So you can charge less for it. If you will get wiped out by talking to people one-on-one -on -one and working on strategy and you're really all in, well, you have to charge more because you can't do as much of it as someone who's more extroverted could. So that is one of the reasons that I don't push my consulting is because, I mean, I get, I get enough already where people have gone to my, most people find me through YouTube. So they go to my YouTube channel. Not many people go to my website, but if they do go to my website, they actually have to actively try and find the 
con contact consulting section. <laughs> yeah. So I know if they're coming for a meeting, there there is a reason. Like mm -hmm. they're not just oh yeah, let's book a meeting because why not? Like they've actively searched out to talk with me. Um, so. And I've got hundreds, literally hundreds of calls where they did not actively search me out. They just booked the call and it was terrible. And like each one of those experiences encourages you to make it a little bit harder or a little bit higher price because you can get really wiped if you don't protect yourself from just the the burnout of that. Also, someone's saying that he's 20 or they're 22. 22. Okay. I think I started my business at 21 or 22. So it's not a, like age doesn't matter, right? Like, I think we both agree with that. I'm 24, so. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really, um, doesn't make a difference in today's world. I feel like so many famous YouTubers, especially now, are so young. They're like my niece's age. <laughs> I think I think the funny thing with a lot of those YouTubers is a lot of them have an audience because they they followed that relatable aspect. They've done the vloggy thing, whatever it happens to be, with friends and mm -hmm. and that's great. Their their CPMs are trash because yeah. vlog CPMs are trash. Um and none of have none of them have done anything business related. And they are struggling, and it's it's very very not funny is not the right word, but I guess ironic that people watching them are like, oh yeah, they're going to be rich, and and you look at them and go, they're probably at like I don't know, a dollar maybe CPM per video, and they're getting <laughs> maybe even lower. <laughs> if if you're lucky, um, and and they're getting like a hundred thousand views, and you think oh, I'm earning more than that, and I'm only getting like one thousand views. <laughs> yep, exactly. I think that goes back to like successful on successful externally or successful internally by your own standards. Yeah, especially on social media and the whole the whole world of just content creation in general. It's it's actually interesting. Like I watch Twitch almost all the time. I always have done. I've never been on Twitch up until like a few weeks ago, um, and I watch it all the time. And I, I watch I watch those streamers, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I could do that. And that would be easy because I'm always talking, whether it's rubbish or sense. I'm always talking. <laughs> um, but they, a, a lot of them spend a lot of time not earning anything. Well, and, and, maybe it's just fun though. Well, yeah, yeah, I agree. But when you when you look at what they're doing and where they potentially could go with the business in streaming anyway, it's way, way, way lower than YouTube. And you're thinking, yeah. why are you over there and not? It's, it's, just, it's just interesting um obviously some people like like you say are doing it just for fun um but even though i'm doing it for fun there is still a a business method behind it so i still know i'm earning something it's not yeah it's it's not a zero sum game there's something <laughs> yeah and i think that's the problem i have with the word fun and probably most businessy people so i'm gonna say this just so you can refute it because i'm sure other people are thinking this as well the problem with fun is i at least i have moods and if I just go by what's fun, I would never edit the video I have to edit today. <laughs> like, I feel like fun is so impulsive that sometimes like we can become our own worst energy with or enemy with fun. But I wonder if because you were so, so in the sports mindset, like maybe that just doesn't affect you as much. And so that way fun for you is more intentional than it would be for someone like me. <laughs> probably if I was like fun, I would have probably stopped for two weeks on YouTube because I, you know, got distracted or do you know what I'm saying? Like fun versus what's good for you kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess this may come down to what I, I mentioned with Marie. So Marie, when I was talking with her last week, uh, she said, how do I have all that energy? <laughs> I don't know, I just do. Um, yeah, it's just, meh. And 
fun essentially if if energy drops for me then i know it's not fun and not many things drop drop my level of energy so maybe that's just a word that i use that works for me and not i obviously it's not everything's going to work for everyone else um mm. but for me in that sense fun is if something doesn't lose me energy mm. uh yeah. so, and and when i'm learning something i'm having fun I mean, even when I'm doing coding or, well, not coding, but formulas, same sort of difference, and yeah. I'm trying to find the comma that's missing, mm -hmm. it's frustrating, irritating. <coughs> I'm swearing. <laughs> Meanwhile, <coughs> fine. Wow. Drink, breathe. We finally talked you out. <laughs> uh, no, I just swallowed halfway through saying something. <coughs> um. But yeah, when, when I'm doing that, trying to find that comma, it's still fun. Even though it's frustrating, I still have loads of energy. And I, but I, I have sat there for two hours trying to solve a formula. Mm -hmm. And then like the next day, I've just rewritten the formula because I found another way to make it smaller. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I understand where you're coming from. And I understand why now fun never made sense to me. <laughs> I mean, fun made sense to me, but not in the, your your application. For me, it's always about thinking about the future. Like I'm not, I don't live in the present very often for better or worse. I'm always thinking about tomorrow. And so for me, fun is always building out the structure. So that way I am truly just, the things that are not fun will not come up at, in that future state. And so I'm willing to do things now that are not fun to get me there. And that's where I think the difference is because I'm just living for tomorrow for better or worse versus living for today. That's, that's interesting. So uh, my like with with those three, I, I I plan plan for the future, but I live in the present and reflect on the past. And living in the present for me is obviously fun. Yeah. Um. So yeah, planning for the future. I the the way I look at it is when as soon as I wake up, I want to get started with my day, irrespective of whether whatever. That, excuse me, happens to be. Um, and I, I never want to go to sleep. <laughs> I always want to keep going. Um, and, and if that was the change, I know something in my day wasn't fun or there was something that was draining for whatever reason. Um, mm -hmm. and, and if that does happen, I know, okay, that thing was different. Obviously at the time, maybe doing it was fun, but it like mentally, I was like, ah, I don't really want to get up the next day to do it. So it might be fun in the moment, but not moving forward so I can then plan ahead of time. Uh, so with, with videos, like as an example, yeah. Notion videos, I was making Notion videos because they were fun to make and they still are fun to make um, when there is a reason to it. Now there's like that caveat to mm -hmm. it hmm. um, because I haven't necessarily burnt out making Notion videos so I can do it, but it's there's that caveat, it's fun if. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas, where if it's something new, it's always going to be fun because it's new and I'm learning something. Uh, huh. And uh, you know, also, I think it's because you filter afterwards. So you're probably more inclined to try things than me. Um, that's what I'm gathering. You're probably experimenting and trying. Yeah. I, so I'm less inclined to try things. And so if I'm trying or if I'm trying to do something, I know it's important to myself. And so for me, when I'm doing something I don't want to do, I know I need to do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be trying. And that's why I'm always systems oriented because I'm like, this needs to get done. Delegation, SOPs, freedom. You know, that's my journey versus you. It's probably you're experimenting more. So that's where the fun is your filter. 
versus me, I'm filtering before I start trying to do something. Yeah, so by I mean, the time I have to do it, I'm resigned. <laughs> I mean, the people in my audience, I think the majority of them Sorry. know. I, I, I've made Mario inside of Notion within my maths, like mm. because, just because. Um, yeah. Is there a reason to it? No, other than it was fun. Uh, <laughs> and And I have a couple of projects in mind that will probably take a fair few hours yeah. <laughs> relating to inline maths, hint, hint. Um, and, and they are they are just fun projects I have in my mind that I want to do. Is there a point to them other than they're being fun? No. If, if anything, I should probably be doing something that is um, business related, but fun it's first. It's where you're at, right? It's yeah. where you're at. I, I feel like I used to do a lot more experimentation and now I really enjoy seeing the building blocks. There's just, there's a satisfaction to that that I was not getting before. Um, but I think it's just what you're focused on, right? What you're trying to build, which sounds like people in the comments are also, <laughs> a lot of folks are building, <laughs> building something. Yeah. Kind. Uh, what, what were you giggling at? Which one? The, just folks commiserating, starting late, oh, or yeah. just trying to agree, <laughs> trying to go to sleep, trying not to go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess as a as as a as a thought going forwards, when it comes to exploring tools, I, I'm exploring loads of tools because it's fun for me, and I know it helps some people that don't have the time and the rest to explore the rest of it. Do you still? I know you said earlier you still explore tools to an extent. Mm -hmm. How how does that work? Do you still keep a track, like keep an eye on product hunt, or do you just follow people like Francesco, Simplicity, like Scott and uh, where does that, how does that yeah. fit? <laughs> For me, I don't like consuming a lot of secondary information. So I actually don't follow a lot of YouTubers in the productivity space or like I don't follow ClickUp people. I, I like to experience things for myself. So I do follow Product Hunt. I get like the Crunchbase articles I, or CrunchNet. Uh, I get articles and digests in my email that I kind of read through to keep up on them. I'm not experimenting nearly as much. I feel like for me, I'm really trying to go deep throughout the, like I'm basically still learning to business, right? It's only been a few years. So that's my obsession right now. And I'm very much like a, you know, focused in on one thing and, and that kind of person. And I've just really been trying to own that as a strength versus viewing it as a weakness, which is what I used to do when I was younger. And um, so no, I've been focused really much, really much, my goodness. I've been focusing on just vertically in a business, all of the pieces of the business from the bottom up and going deep on all the tools in every single piece that that is in. I've not been focusing wide as much anymore. I used to, but short of, you know, having a monday.com or monday.com account and using Notion, I, I haven't been doing a lot of shopping anymore just because I have a feeling like I'll be able to, I think I'll get the sense when ClickUp starts to die off. Like, I feel like I'll get that because I'm not quite in that bubble of content. I'm in more of the primary sources versus the secondary sources. Um, so short of that, I, I don't feel like I have much reason to at this point. <laughs> yes, I agree. I just I just saw Mario. I was like, what are you talking about, Mario? Mine would be a little better than Mario, though. Maybe. Okay. I got halfway through Luigi. <laughs> I got halfway <laughs> through Luigi. Princess Peach would be a hard one. I feel like she's got a lot of distinctive small elements on that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just a case of time. That's all it is. It's just a matter of time. You need to up the scale from 16 by 16 to 100 by 100 or whatever the scale was for yours. 
I think it was, I think it was 16 by 16 by 16. No, it couldn't be 16 by 16. Must have been 32 by 16, probably. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work out the dimensions in my head, but yeah. It's that ratio for Peach. She needs, she needs high def. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know the Luigi I was making was 32 across and I didn't get all the way down. I, I like cut off his head. I was like at the bottom of his chin uh, and I got distracted doing something else, as you can imagine, and I haven't gone back to it. Um, so <laughs> Luigi is currently cut off at the chin. <laughs> oh, see, this is why I love hanging out with people who are in that other bracket where you're just trying a bunch of random stuff because it's like, I can live vicariously through you. <laughs> so I enjoy listening to your guys' streams each week. It's just being able to hear, I don't know, those kinds of strange experiments I would never do. <laughs> Maybe that's why I have an audience. It's not because they would do anything that I do. It's just because they wouldn't do anything I do. And they <laughs> want to know why. Yeah. yeah, they're trying to understand me. Don't. <laughs> just don't. <clears throat> it saves them from having to try it. Uh, Gabriel, I have a question for you, but I didn't put a question. Oh, okay. I was like, you have a question, but you didn't put the question. It's the next comment. How can you implement ClickUp process templates and SOPs? That's, I'm assuming that's, that was a Layla question, wasn't it? Yes, it was a Layla question. I mean, we can also flip it and make it Notion or any other tool if you wanna, we can, we can broaden this up. How do you implement any software for process template and SOPs? Do you wanna start? Well, the question directed at you, so I'll, okay. I'll let you, I'll let you kick it off. Um, I mean, I have a whole YouTube channel about this. <laughs> I will summarize it by saying, um, I like to define a business in terms of processes. So if we think of it as an organism, what are the main organs? Look, I'm putting in sports management terms very poorly, but I'm trying to translate. <laughs> so we'd map out each organ, if you will, and then we connect each organ to ClickUp. So we translate what's the bicep. The bicep would be a folder, great. And we kind of translate that through for each process in the organism, the living thing that is their business. And then uh, we build it and then we get them to start downloading more information about how to take care of this body that is their business. Um, that's the SOPs part. So standard operating procedure, basically instructions, um, hopefully Ikea level simple, but if nothing else, um, hopefully just some good pointers so that they don't have to keep rethinking of how to do things that they already know how to do. So it's energy preservation, really. That's yeah. how I might click up, but I don't do too much of that anymore, I should say. I don't know, Danny, do you do too much of this? Or are you more so on the consulting versus the setup side? I do whatever they ask, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so consulting, like the full-on custom yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, I, what, what I've actually found is the majority of people that, the, the majority of people that I end up working with, they normally have a process, it's just rather inefficient. <laughs> I, I, I guess it's the, probably the, the best way to put it, it's just they, they have a set of SOPs that are, inefficient no. they typically don't have uh that many templates set up and if they do have templates set up it's very clunky and it's it, yeah so it's it's less of a how to implement processes and templates it's more of a how to make what they've got more efficient um mm -hmm. through through either changing them adding some uh, most of the time it's adapting what they have uh, because they they either haven't thought about something in one way or they're they're overlooking an assumption or something uh, that is that is a lot of the time a lot of the time it's someone assuming someone else knows something and they don't and that's where the <laughs> the, the trigger point is i don't know whether you've whether you've seen that as well it's just someone's assuming something that someone else isn't yeah 
And I think that's a really important point because I, I kind of verbally described it, but I, I didn't really, but there's like three phases of the project. There's the actual flow chart, like the stuff that needs to happen. There's the technology, the venue for where that happens. And then there's the instructions, which is documenting the two earlier steps. So most consultants who work on the custom stuff, like yourself, who are app focused, they live in that second step or that first step of what needs to get done? Does it really need to get done? And where should it be happening? And that sounds like kind of describing where you're at in the equation, which is one of the most impactful parts of the whole process. Because like you described SOPs, it's often too late by the time we're writing instructions to change it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually funny. A lot of people, for whatever reason, they, they love writing SOPs and never looking at them again. Right. That's <laughs> old school thinking. <laughs> I, I don't get it. It's it's kind of like a, a tick box, um, tick box exercise. Write SOPs, done. Next thing, done. A month later, they someone actually needs to use it. They go to the SOP and like, mm -hmm. that, wh what's this? Where's that? And the person that wrote them goes, oh, I don't know. Let's write another one. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it's, it's procrastinate planning. It's at yeah. its finest. <laughs> And that's the way what we used to teach people to do it. Cause we put it in a word document, we'd print it out. It would sit on the binder and it'd be such a pain and no one knows what the file was. So you wouldn't be able to edit it or to retype it on a typewriter, you know, or it was published in a book format, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I think it surprises people to know that I spend a majority of my day in my small teams processes. Like that's where I spend most of my day looking because I'm just changing and revising our procedures, which everyone else is spending most of their day looking at and revising as well. Because otherwise, like, how do you ever get better? Back to your performance example, if you're not tracking what you did last week, how are you supposed to know if you're doing better this week? <laughs> it's just... Uh... Yeah. So that's, that's actually interesting. I know you've done a, a live stream on, on tracking with mm -hmm. OKRs, KPIs, and the rest of it. I don't... Have you listened to John and I speak about it on the podcast? I haven't. No, that's fine. I don't know whether John's still in chat, but John can't stand them. Uh, he can't stand KPIs and OKRs. Really? I'm surprised. Yeah, so uh, you can you can bring that up in the, in the stream, maybe. <laughs> John and I are talking on Friday on the YouTube channel. I will make a note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he does not like them in the slightest. I am. I'm I'm not a fan of a lot of the metrics people track because they don't use it. Yeah. Uh, if they use the metrics they're tracking, fair enough. Mm -hmm. um, like, like I've said, so um, the Notion Goth, I'm not sure whether she's still listening, but we, we went through her space a while ago. It was a four-hour stream. And uh, she tracks like everything you can imagine. And for me, I was like, there's so much tracking, but she uses it all. So it makes sense. Whereas some people have loads of tracking and they never use it. And I'm like, okay, now, now it's just a waste of time. Um, so I'm curious in your business, how do you decide whether it's it's a useful metric to track? Well, I don't think you know it first. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the way that we've done it is if we think of the, the business as an organism, we usually think of like, how do we like take it at the abstract level? What's the role of the organism? Okay, in our case, it's to make a profit because we're a for-profit business. All right, and what are the different organs, the major organs, right? There's the create a brand, there's the serve clients, there's the, you know, have an awesome team that's happy and enjoys doing what we're doing. So those are like our three limbs, which is a, don't try to picture this organism. It's going to start looking really weird. Um, but each of those at that level, at that second level, I actually sat down with my, my VA. We just kind of spitballed and we're like, what is going to measure this? 
And for us, it was like happy team. How are we going to, what's something that might tell us how happy we are? Um, and, and that's kind of where we started. That was our first draft. We would put a few KPIs on a spreadsheet. And I think we started with four. It That's it. We would track them once a week. Every week we pull the numbers, the four things that we were tracking. And at that week, when we discussed the numbers each week, we'd be like, does this actually make sense? <laughs> and if it doesn't, we'd change it. So we have now, I think two of those KPIs that we originally started with are still there. We've added three new ones onto it. But in total now for the whole business, we're tracking five numbers that really matter, I think, give or around five. Um, and we reference them every single week. I have the team adding them. I'm reviewing them. And I actually do a correlation analysis because, you know, geeky, I, I do a regression and a scatter plot to see what actually correlates to what we care about. So I did some like uh, regressions comparing email signups to course sales and different things. And we determined recently that our Facebook group doesn't, none of the stats correlate with anything that actually matters. So we stopped tracking it. Um, I just feel like that's the only way to not waste time and not, I mean, tracking for tracking's sake is just not, it's not exciting. It's like looking in your Google or your YouTube analytics every day. It's kind of stressful. I, uh, I, I may challenge that a little bit. Okay. I mean, I, I, I get it's certainly a personal preference, but I guess maybe it comes from my SNC days, but tracking, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't track the stuff for me, like the business tracking side of things, but the analytics of YouTube is where I'm saying tracking. I spend uh, an unhealthy amount of time looking at data uh, because it's just fun. And I don't know whether you whether you have gone to this extent, but I actually export my YouTube data into a Google spreadsheet and then do like statistical analysis on it because it's just interesting. <laughs> it's not interesting for some people. I, I can respect that. Uh, but, but it's interesting. And it, it, it's... <laughs> I'm going to say it's fun. I know it's not fun for a lot of people, but I, I enjoy the statistical analysis. Now, am I tracking those things myself? No, because it's going on in the background. And right. that I think is the difference between the stuff I'm tracking and the stuff other people are tracking is if it's already being grabbed from a, a social media platform or a website or something, and it's already collected in one place, mm -hmm. the it then becomes less of a, okay, what shall I track? It's more of a, okay, what do I need to interpret? What, what bits that are already tracked do I actually need to interpret? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a whole other question. How do you interpret yeah. data? <laughs> so we filter a little bit earlier just because a lot of our numbers are qualitative. Like how many, one of ours is like, how many leads do we have new this week? And that's kind of, it requires a little bit of qualitative analysis because not everybody reaches out counts. Um, and we then track that. But I think your point about analytics and taking the time to really look at the numbers, I enjoy that as well. I don't go as far as you do on the YouTube stuff, but I look <laughs> around, especially for the keywords as to who's like, how are they finding you through search? Because like you, I assume I get a lot of search traffic. So I, I dig into that a lot on a regular basis around like, I would say every other week, whenever I'm kind of planning content out. But I just think too much noise becomes kind of ineffective. It gets too noisy. So that's interesting. I, I look at my analytics once a month, okay. um, but I do a massive deep dive into my analytics. Mm -hmm. So And I will say I use vidIQ on TubeBuddy. So vidIQ gives you the uh, watch at the top of the screen. So I can sort of see when my views are going anyway, mm -hmm. like whether they're going up and down. I've just realized we've hit two hours. See, I, ah, I'm so bad at time management. I was like, <laughs> yeah, um, I, 
if if you do need to go, let me know. <laughs> um, <laughs> completely lost track of time. I saw Torin's comment and I was like, oh, okay. I've just looked at the clock, two hours. Oh, okay, yep. Uh, but yeah, so the, very, very briefly, I use VidIQ as like a, an ongoing tracker in my mind as to if views are dropping. If they do drop drastically, then I have a quick look. But mm -hmm. whenever I post a video, I have to go to my analytics and I get the the, the dashboard. like. To, to publish the video because I publish it manually because I don't like the scheduling. Um, so I publish all the videos manually so it's off time so it doesn't go out with all the other notifications from all the other channels. So I can't avoid seeing the dashboard. So I, I get a, a brief view anyway, uh, but I don't really do anything. It's more of a, is it what I expect? Yes, moving on. <laughs> yeah, I, I do something similar, especially because I, I need, I schedule mine. Um, but I do need to go and watch it and like just check everything as soon as it goes live and leave a comment and all that. So uh, I'm similar, but I don't do the deep dive until I'm kind of like in that zone because otherwise it can become kind of a rabbit hole and it's not, it's not helping me. I'm not taking action on it. I'm just kind of like digging for digging sake. And there's a certain point where I'm like, I should probably be just creating versus obsessing over the details of what I've already created. So I, I guess that's maybe, maybe a slight difference. So I treat YouTube as a game <clears throat> uh, and so what I'll do is I'll have a look at thumbnails or I'll have a look at traffic source or uh, a, a keyword or something. And yes. I'll do a couple of videos with it. I'll then look at the stats for it. And then I will do another video like related to something I found. So I'm like, okay, is that really true? And I'll do a couple of videos and in the advanced uh, tabs of YouTube analytics, you can go into the advanced section and compare groups. I'm, I'm all over that. <laughs> Well, and you're doing A-B testing, I assume, with whatever tools you have on the back end. Are you talking to, buddy, thumbnails? Uh, so or are you just doing it manually by just trying things? Or I, both? <laughs> yeah. So I... I do A-B testing with TubeBuddy sometimes. Most okay. of the time I don't. Um, and the main reason is I want I want the thumbnail to last long enough for me to compare it because most of my views come through search, not browse. Mm -hmm. I found that it doesn't matter if I, so what I, this is my testing anyway. What I found with TubeBuddy is if I test, if I change my thumbnail in the first three days, it doesn't make a single difference to my browse traffic because mm -hmm. my audience is my audience. If they see Notion, they'll click on it. If they don't see Notion, it's going to be lower just yeah. my audience. So it really doesn't matter what color my thumbnail is, how big I am, how big Notion is, it doesn't matter. Um, so the A-B testing of the thumbnails, not so much. However, the testing of stuff after seven days, yes. Hmm. Because then it's search related and search related is comparing with whatever else is ranking in search. Uh, so then I'll start testing things. But, and yeah. is it safe to say that you have all of these plates spinning at once? like? For you, you're like, I have YouTube as an experiment. I have these apps I'm exploring. Like, you enjoy the spinning plates, it sounds like. Like, that fuels you. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm so the opposite. I'm so the opposite. I I think it's it's like the double-edged sword of focus. I, right now, I'm focused on systemizing my YouTube process so there's no, like, stress about it. It's just this easy thing that we just do and we're ready and we're... But after we get through systemizing it, I'm going to go back into the, like... I kind of flip back and forth. Like I'm either focused on changing things up, like when I, I upgraded my gear and all that kind of stuff in the fall. And now I'm focused on delegating pieces of it and making sure we're consistent and blah, blah, blah. And then it's going to flip back. And I cannot, if I try to do both at once, I end up not finishing either. See, 
For, for me, there is certainly a downside to my attention span, and I know there is, because when there is something that's working and it's <laughs> when there's something that's working and moving forwards and there's a process and you do this and to me, that's boring because I'm doing the same thing over and over again. So I'm like, nah, I can't do this. I've got to change something. I've either got to stop doing this and do something completely left field or I just need to try and improve it or try and make it fun in some way. And that's what I do with boring tasks. If I know something's boring, I try and make it fun in some way. Mm-hmm. So my editing, for example, editing is boring. It just is. I don't enjoy editing, but I make editing fun. And there's loads of different things I do to make editing fun for me. Um, and that will change dependent on the mood I'm in. <laughs> so you're going to be editing choices or just your environment when you're editing? Both. <laughs> okay. Both. Just Editing in general is just boring to me. So either I will, I will do something with the edit that's fun. Like I've put things in videos deliberately to see if people notice just because. <laughs> okay. Just because, um, because it, it made it made the editing fun. I'm like, how can I do something different with this video that may, and like, so I'll give you an example. I know Homesick Mac, I don't know whether he's watching. He's, he's um, he, he knows technology, he knows audio and the stuff. So I, I messed up my audio in one of the videos for about two minutes. And it was like, I think it was 0.3 seconds out. Mm. And I, I was like, okay, I'm not going to correct that. And I'm going to see, because I had in my head, I, I reckon Homesick Mac, and I reckon there's a couple of other people that comment. I reckon all three of those are going to either comment in my video or send me a message about it. And I left it in there. And lo and behold, all three of them did. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was just fun. I was like, you know what? I don't care that it's kind of out of sync. People still know what I'm talking about. They still get it. But I'm just, I just want to see if those three people are going to respond. And it's small things like that. Yeah um it's just fun <laughs> that's crazy yeah i i i love editing go figure i really enjoy it because it's curation and i just enjoy like what do you really need to know and yeah i love the kill your darlings approach it's very enjoyable for me but i'm not very good at it and i realize it's not the best use of my time so it's the last thing i've been wanting to outsource so i'm just starting now i'm trying to hire a video editor and it's been an exciting journey but I don't know. I find myself, I really waste a lot of time on editing because I I try to do it very, as quickly as possible, but there's so many things you can do, like you're saying, to leave. For you, it's like leaving a comedic mark. For me, it's like, will they notice I took the time to I don't know, make this transition or make this feel smoother? Those kinds of things. We're adding those exactly. afterwards. Yeah. Exactly. So when I got this camera, I didn't tell anyone that I got the camera. And I wanted to see if people could tell the difference as to if I got the camera or not. I didn't get a single comment, a single message about the video that I posted with the camera recording versus the webcam recording. I did a live stream that Saturday and everyone's like, you have a new camera. Did you not notice in the video? <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's interesting what folks will comment on. It's also like at a certain point, it's like, <laughs> it's interesting in good ways and not so good ways <laughs> because YouTube is public and lovely in that way. But yeah, I, I think for so much of the stuff, the substance is what really matters. So we we are in a very lucky niche in YouTube in general. I feel like it's very forgiving of low production quality and loom videos. And as long as the substance is there and people walk away thinking or feeling or ready to do something, then we have a low bar versus entertainment channels. And yeah. Yay. 
it's actually interesting that you say that because it's something that actually triggers in, in my mind when it comes to the productivity space. It's something I spoke. I don't know whether you heard me and Tom Solid talk on his mm -hmm. thing. It was something that I was saying is like the, the lifestyle productivity YouTubers huh. have more of a filmmaking. There, there's more quality expectation in those vlog filming B-roll videos. So getting into that space, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Because you you can't get into that space with a webcam now. You, you just can't. You need a camera. Whereas in the productivity app space, you can literally just do a Loom video and it would do well. Yeah, very well. I That's the most surprising thing about YouTube. I remember when I you know got started, I was like, I'm just going to create two videos a week just to help my clients. So I don't have to keep telling them the same things one by one. And if I make five cents from ads a month, I will be delighted with that five cents. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a dollar one of these months. And like the first month that I was monetized, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> more than five cents. Um, it, it is amazing how, uh, how YouTube is really kind of this self-fulfilling thing. And people, there's so much anxiety about getting started on it. I keep trying to get my husband to start because I'm like, why not? Just do it. Um, if only to get better at telling the story of what you do, because I feel like you learn so much more by teaching than you do by actually consuming content, or at least I like, that's how I stay up on all the features, just release a video about it. And then I'll memorize it forever. Cause you spent how long scripting that recording it, editing it. I mean, you're not going to forget that. <laughs> Feynman's technique. That's <laughs> 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 what, what it's called. Uh, the ability to explain something in simple terms to someone else, essentially. Einstein said it, but for for whatever reason, it's Feynman's technique. I believe it's because he did something in psychology around uh, explaining difficult concepts. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, I just know it's Feynman's technique. Why, it helps. <laughs> why, why I remember that, I can tell you, is because it's related to Thomas Frank. Because we're talking about YouTube, Thomas mm -hmm. Frank did a video about it years ago, and it was the Feynman technique, and I have the, the thumbnail in my head. So you watch a lot of content, even in your area. I I, I can't do that. I feel like it it, it biases me, but maybe because I'm more closed-minded <laughs> than you are. Like I, I think the stuff I consume matters so much and influences me so much that I'm like very much, you know, I like to keep a quiet environment. This is because I'm moving. I promise. I actually have furniture. <laughs> but I'm the exact same as you. I've got a wall behind me. It's just, yeah. it's not white. Just like an intellectually quiet space, and I can't consume a lot of stuff, or I'll find myself kind of taking that voice in some ways, or, or I don't know. But it's probably just the opposite for you. I as consume so much content. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I will say I don't consume any other Notion videos because they I'm just going to be completely blank. They bore me. They, they just do because there is, I have not seen anything new in a Notion video for so long that I, I just don't bother watching them anymore. Uh, I mean, e even on Twitter, when I see things that post up on Twitter and people are like, oh, this is so cool. I'm like, it is. It is cool. It does look <laughs> nice. But I've already done it. And it's like, it's hard for me. It's hard to be excited about something I've already seen. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, that's new. <laughs> I don't know whether it's the same, but. it. Oh, I mean, ClickUp is so much less customizable than Notion. And I feel like I'm not probably not the same number of videos, but I'm probably close to you in the number of videos purely about one software. And ClickUp just has, it's not as diverse as Notion. There's not as much you can do with it. So 
yeah, no, ClickUp gets very boring. <laughs> and that's why I think the processes are what I, that's what I, that's my crutch. Cause that's yeah. what makes it interesting. The humans, the interaction with the tool, whether it's the humans in the business side or the humans using it, that's what makes it interesting. Personality um, also, like. Uh, there you go. There you go. Full circle. Full circle. Or the the actions, the the misconceptions, the understanding. That's what's interesting because the product is the product is the product, and it's just a bunch of code. So anyway, yeah, very true. <laughs> uh, do, do you wanna do you wanna start calling it up there? Because uh, I feel like I mean I could talk for another couple of hours because I know I'm gonna watch a chess game at two a.m. Uh, in the morning for me so i mean i'm gonna i mean i don't go to sleep till like five anyway so meh. oh my gosh no uh, i yes i'm probably ready to start wrapping it up because yeah. i should edit some videos tonight <laughs> i've got a couple of videos to edit as well but i'll probably i'll probably edit the video whilst watching the chess game and then get like scroll moment somewhere else but yeah and then all of a sudden there's just like a chess screenshot ends up in the thing for the people watching to see if they can find the easter egg i who knows what could happen? There are Easter eggs in a lot of videos that people just haven't found. I'm like, hey, fine. Some people may actually go and try and find them. I doubt it, but yeah. Your viewers now have a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may start putting a squirrel in a video, just like. You should. Oh my gosh, you should. You should hide it in, in your upcoming videos and have people find it. That would be very fun. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. Give me a comment. There you go, question of the video. <laughs> what was the timestamp? What was the timestamp of the squirrel? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then everyone else just has to figure out where it is. I like it. Well, it, comes to the end of, it comes to the end of the video. A new viewer comes in. Where was the squirrel? What? <laughs> Pin the <What>? comment. <laughs> <laughs> Two fourteen. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so do you want to? I, I will probably put uh, your channel in the description. I haven't done it because I tried doing the at mention thing and it didn't work for some reason um but yeah I'll, I'll grab the link and put it in the description is there anywhere else people can find you probably not i pretty much no <laughs> yeah you can find me on facebook i'm i'm new to twitter i'm trying but yeah i'm pretty much on youtube and uh facebook at layla at process driven because pomper is just not catchy enough that's my actual last name <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's in the thumbnail. I can uh, in the th in the in the title. It's it's ClickUp Consultant featuring Layla dot dot dot. And I'm pretty sure your last name's there. Just look for the dots. <laughs> There's not that many Laylas. You'll find it eventually. Yeah, uh, Layla ClickUp YouTube. You're good. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's been great talking. I've I've had I've had fun. <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining me uh, through some squirrel squirrel ridden pastures here. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Uh, and if you do want to come on any other time, just. Just, just jump in. I'm more than happy to have another conversation. I know Bass is coming on again because he he loved the squirrels. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, and I have to catch up on some of your other videos probably before we talk next. So, see you, Danny. I, I will say very quickly before we go off is you have a live stream on Friday with John. I do. I do. Is is that on your YouTube channel? It is on. Yes. So if you can find my name on Friday. Oh wait, someone put the link in. Nerdy Nerdy Yeah, she's a mod. So there we go. There you go. Yep, you can come watch me and John on Friday geek out about managing an online course. Wearing our business people hats on Friday. Fun. <laughs> it fun. will be fun. I'm sure it will be. We, we're using Whimsical. It's going to be fun. We've been like process mapping together throughout the week. I'm excited. Yeah, awesome. Right, well. <laughs> on that note. On that note, I will see you guys in a couple of days where I'm talking to someone else. I think it's Scott.
I think it's Scott Friesen I'm talking to in a couple of days. <laughs> so yes. See you then. Bye everyone. Yeah.